Well, we have a Game of Thrones coming up in three hours, so the sooner we get started, the better. See where the important part is. Yeah, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Dude, there's only two episodes left. Yeah, and then HBO will kind of go out of business as they lose That's like eight true. million yeah. subscribers who unsubscribe because there's no more Game of Thrones. They've got so much other stuff. They'll be fine. Yeah. Really? I, I don't hear anybody talk about anything other than Game of Thrones on HBO. Um, no, that's fair. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that loves big facts and we cannot lie. I'm Rob. I'm Kevin. Dennis. No Richard today because it's Mother's Day and he is doing stuff with his family today, which totally understandable. Uh, but we will carry on without him. Uh, this episode, episode 195, we're going to be talking primarily about the new Inari Index that was in White Dwarf and the big FAQ that did, in fact, hit the day after we recorded our episode <laughs> last time as predicted yay we we got it in one or two i guess but <laughs> uh but uh anyway uh first though we've got news and new releases well we're gonna do news and new releases and then talk in ari and then go into listener mail but news and new releases we've actually got quite a bit uh and we'll try to get through it quickly to keep into our time schedule because warhammer fest was this weekend in fact it wrapped up today uh, that was in Coventry, England, and uh, Warhammer Fest unveiled a lot of new and upcoming stuff. Uh, so I'm just going to take it from the top in the order that they released the information in. Uh, first off, the new contrast paint system, which is really interesting. Uh, a lot when uh, they were at Adepticon, there was like a preview for like 50 shades of gray plastic, <laughs> kind of like, you know, look at all my unpainted models. We're going to come up with something new. And rumors were wa wild. Like, is this going to be, are they going to release an airbrush? How are they going to, you know, what's this whole fast painting system that they're, they're going to talk about? Well, that has been revealed and it is a system of paints that is apparently a blend of like an, ink and a wash and a layer paint like all at the same time uh it's meant to be applied over a white base coat or at least a light colored base coat and apparently they have one for white and they have one in kind of like a beige wraith bone color and you paint this on in one thick coat oh i'm already on board with that. yeah <laughs> and the quality is I, i've seen some yeah in fact they're ad but for like finally one thick coat and just shows them hosing down the model. Okay, yeah, I don't Duncan's paint like probably that. His mind. But. <laughs> oh yeah. In fact, they even like during the little video they did for it, they had like Chris Peach and Duncan sitting side by side painting, and Peach finishes first, and Duncan just looks <laughs> forlorn. But <laughs> but apparently, it applies color and wash all at the same time. So okay. like, it does a base color, and then it dries with shading inside of it. Uh, the colors look to be pretty vibrant. I've seen people posting photos online of like samples they've done because people who went to the show actually got a chance to paint with this. They had like apparently a bunch of like Pox Walker models out pre-primed and ready for painting. And people were doing really decent looking job. And they're like within 20 to 30 minutes, the model's done. Oh, wow. nice. Yeah. 
Uh, well, it seems to me like this is going to be like your quick tabletop quality. I don't yes. know that like high end painters are going to no. use this. No, this but, no. does not sound like no. for you guys. No. It sounds and like they, for me. And they have straight up, <laughs> they have straight up said this does not replace their existing paint line. This is going to be a paint line that exists alongside it. And it's basically, do you want to paint the traditional way? Those paints are all still there. That doesn't change. Do you want to paint this new way, which is for getting a tabletop quality model quickly? They're really aiming this towards either new painters, people who don't like painting, people who don't have the time to do a lot of painting, people who are painting horde armies and need to paint a whole bunch of things. So like Skaven players for fantasy or Tyranid players or orc players. Yeah, Yeah, orc players. Uh, you know, they're really wanting to make it possible to crank out a good quality paint job in a reasonable amount of time. I was just thinking, though, about the Venn diagram of those three things that you just mentioned. And for me, it's just one circle. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm excited for this. Uh, hopefully it works as well as they're as they say it does. Yeah. And they actually there's a photo on their site of like all the new paints alongside uh, a bunch of Space Marine like models, like Primaris models, painted in all the various colors. And the idea is it is one coat over a white primer, and the colors look nice and saturated. Yeah, they do. I mean, I would still say you need to do all the detail work. but Well, yeah. no, you don't. That's the thing. The de- I mean, like, yeah, if you want to do, like... Make the like gun pe- a different color. Because, like, the pink Space Marine with the pink gun is... Right, right. But yeah, okay. So yeah, in that sense of detail. But then you don't have to, you won't even have to do a separate wash over that. There's yeah. a metal, like a gunmetal color that you'll paint the oh, gun over yeah. with the wash already. I could use it. the gunmetal. Yeah, that's perfect for me. Yeah. I use gunmetal a lot. Yeah. So this, this will be like, if you are somebody who's looking for a quick way to paint up an army, this sounds like it's going to be a really neat idea. It's going to be coming out in June. So we don't have long to wait until it's available. I will wait until I really need to get painting because. Slanesh hurt me this month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They showed uh, one of the sisters' models painted, as opposed to just like a 3D render. Oh, nice. So it looks gorgeous. Yeah, no, it's going to be... The new sisters' line is going to be fantastic. And you're excited for it? I am excited for it, (laughs) even though I don't know how much I'm going to buy. You've got your army already. I have an army already, but it depends... Like, the main thing I'm going to be looking at is vehicles. I don't even... I want to see what new penitent engines look like since it depends on how, because we know they're going to do new ones, but <laughs> it depends on how much they're going to scale them up from the old ones. Oh, yeah. Because are you going to have a. If I have to rebase my. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to rebase them. They're on <laughs> resin bases. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that with my entire sister's army, and I have a feeling they might end up on 32s. I don't know. I can't see that. I, I can't. I can. Uh, I could. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I can't. Because, I mean, they're smaller models than Space Marines. They are, but they've remember they're also like second and third edition models, so they'll they wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they get scaled up a little bit. They'll scale them up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Gemini uh, that came with Celest, yeah, they're upscaled from Seraphim a little yeah. bit enough that it could make a difference. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, other other news: Chaos Knights. We <laughs> are getting their own book. Their own night model kit, uh, and the night model kit is going to make the night rampager, which is their close combat night, or their night despoiler, which is their anti-vehicle like long-range night, uh, complete with a full range of like hooks and claws and chains <laughs> and new face pa- new face plates for the night. The legs are bent differently. 
They're a little bit more like animalistic. Okay. I- I'm glad you pointed a lot of this stuff out to me because to me- It just looks like another night. It just looks like a night that someone put chaos bits on. I'm like, can't we do that already? <laughs> I mean, you can, but I, I'm excited for this. Uh, this looks awesome. <laughs> it does look awesome, but yeah, there's the, for the, the uninitiated- It's uh, more nights. Yeah, it's more nights. Yeah. Well, there's also like in the, the picture for the night- Rampager, whichever one it is, mm-hmm. the spoiler maybe I think the weapon that he holds looks like it's sort of a battle cannon, but it's not. Yeah, yeah, I, no, I think it's like it looks different. Yeah, they haven't said what it is exactly, but I believe it's. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's some sort of like turbo laser. Yeah, because it's Which, there because they're <laughs> real. They're, it looks like it's meant to be like an anti-vehicle. Yeah, gun. Uh, and then along with the new kit will come a new Knight, Chaos Knights Codex. So the Renegade Knights pamphlet will be retired and replaced with this. I actually like that. As, as much as we've all said, hey, Knights only have like a few models. Why do they get the big Codex treatment? Having a Codex is so much better than having a pamphlet. It is. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're going to be... Uh, you know, and they've shown photos like it's going to include all the existing night builds from like what Renegades not Renegade Knights have now. You will not lose. This just adds on to it. Here's what I'll wonder: since it's Chaos Knights, do you choose a? Could you choose a, a god for one of the? We don't know. Don't know. If we, you could make a Slanesh Knight, then you're on board. <laughs> oh, when 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 Forge World had those rules for Chaos Knights, which were different at that point then renegade knights you had like oh if you take a knight with the mark of zinch they get a better invuln save or the nurgle one had extra toughness or the corn one had extra attacks the slanesh one i think had better initiative because this was seventh edition yeah but it's like that's such a cool idea i don't know if they're gonna do that because as we talked last episode marks don't do anything um but we'll see. I mean, this this I'm makes it exciting excited. because if they did yeah. something like that, that also gives it a different flavor from Imperial Knights. And we'll also have to yes. see what their equivalent of households is going to be. And if the it, four demon gods, oh, well, well no, <laughs> hey, and maybe, maybe that maybe that's it. Maybe yeah. it is is the uh, equivalent of a Marks system. But uh, yeah, we uh, have that coming down the pipe. So that's interesting. Skitari, moving on. Skitari have a transport or will. Yeah, I and you guys had told me about this, and then when I saw pictures, I'm like, "Is that a hovercraft?" It is a hovercraft. It's a it's <laughs> yeah. a it's a anti grav hovercraft with like a World War II style like landing craft ramp. Yeah, I know, and I think that's what what confused me a little bit. I'm like, at first, I thought Blood Angels don't need this because it's painted all red. <laughs> no, nope, nope, that's Mars Skatari. So I, I realized that after I saw the Skatari, but. But I, I, I actually, and then it will apparently also make a, uh, it, it makes a tank variant with a, with a gun on it, like, a, you know, a main weapon. I mean, I, I have to, I, go ahead, Kevin. I'll have to see the model in person. Cause honestly, maybe it's the color scheme. Maybe it's, I don't like it. It I just mean, looks I, like a, it looks like a topless hover rhino. Yeah. I can't say and, I don't like it as much yet, but I'm like you, I'm like, eh, it just, it doesn't grab yeah. me. I think it's kind of cool. That, oh, here's a hover thing. But I think I probably would have like the hover thing if it actually looked like it was hovering more than it's just sitting there. Yeah, and that could be that could be just the way they photographed it because there's nothing, you know, it's it's a photo on a white background. Right. So I, I I will withhold judgment, but like my initial thought when I saw it was like, oh they they took a rhino 
made it hover and cut the top off. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> but if I like that. On the flip side, I am super happy for Skatari players because here is a yes. vehicle for you guys to use. Absolutely. Now you have another another type of army build, which is which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Because that army has been so dependent on foot slogging this this whole time having some delivery method, especially for like they specifically mentioned like Electro Priest. That's being the one I was about to say. Yeah, too. being able to deliver those. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, the, yes. the guys with guns, I guess is this open top that transport? Yes, it looks open top. It looks open top whether they'll be able to shoot out of it because okay. the walls are oh, pretty the, tall. The walls are pretty tall. But if this was an open top vehicle like the Raiders for mm-hmm. the Dark Eldar, it could oh, be very cool. Man, for Skatari shooting, that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh speaking of shooting, we're getting a new variant of the repulsor. The Repulsor Executioner, which is basically just uh, more another gun. more gun, another tank made of gun, just bigger gun. How, how did they put more said, gun on there? Well, it looks like they now? strapped off. They 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 unstrapped one gun and put a bigger. Oh, so gun. just different gun. A different okay, gun. So yeah, it's it's apparently going to. It's still going to have a transport capability, although I imagine it'll be a smaller one. Two models. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the it's the Razorback version of. The repulsor. Yeah. Which I don't hate. But remember how like when we talked about before that nobody takes repulsors because it's a tank and it's not a transport and exactly. it just costs too much. Yes, this is not fixed that is problem. The same problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is not not what people were looking for. So yeah. I I was really hoping I mean, that they would do something like a just a floating rhino or something that was less yeah. less expensive and less gun but yeah. more focused on transport and this is not that. Well, maybe I mean, they're going to wait to get a f- good transport until they get a good assault unit cuz that's the really thing you want to transport for. Right. Yeah. And then finally, um uh well, maybe not finally, I have to see. Uh then we also have Apocalypse coming. Again, for the first time, for the last time. <laughs> uh, no, eighth, eighth edition is getting its ver- variant on Apocalypse, but it apparently is not going to be just like a version of 40K. It's its own rule set. I'm actually fine with that. Like that. Yeah. yeah, it's its own rule set. It's going to use, it uses D12s, strangely enough. What for? We don't know yet. Mm. I'm going to say I'm fine with that too, but I'm more curious than anything on, because on, it, it Going from a D6 to a D12 just really feels like you're scaling up. Well, the there still are also D6s as well. So okay. we don't know. Like, we, there's a lot we don't know. What we do know is that uh, there are movement trays involved. But I don't know if that means, like, if you're running a horde uni- a horde army that you have to have, like, all, like, let's say poxwalkers. You have to have all 20 of them on a movement tray. Because what they've shown is, like, movement tray, like, five model movement trays. Yeah. And I'm wondering... If instead of representing like just being a faster way to move models, if it's supposed to be more like representative of a unit rather than like the full model count of a unit. I, I could see that. Or I was with more thinking when you said that is like you don't remove models for if you have individual models, you remove trays. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, that does a damage. OK, I lose these five guys because. Right. That's the scale. Well, like it's one of the things they one of the things they could talk about, too, is that this is supposed to be a faster yeah, they're talking playing like, version of APOC. Yeah, they're talking about play a huge APOC game in a day. Or yeah, they're talking like play an APOC game in the in an evening. Yeah. Oh, that would be a huge so, change. It makes me wonder if it's going to be more of an abstraction of like epic, 
where like, yeah, like here's a unit of here's a unit of troops and they get hit with a weapon and eh, the unit's just gone, you know, and and it kind of abstracted a little bit that way. And instead of it being, like you said, model by model, it's just kind of unit by unit. Yeah, yeah. I could I could see that working and being very good. Mm-hmm. And one thing they have said is that uh, they're you're they're going to release like the box set, like the core set that has all the the gameplay rules, and then all the rules for individual armies will be free online downloads. Oh, that is so good. So I like that yeah, so I'm totally down with that. So it sounds like th- this might be a way to make a- APOC easier to fit into like another gaming event right or, have it or just, just take up an evening rather than you have a weekend mm-hmm. where this or, or you know it's like one of these things where you know how many times have people talked about like oh we're going to do this campaign where we're going to like start off small and then we're going to build up to normal games then we're going to finish with an apocalypse game it's going to take like all weekend yeah now it's seen like one that's finished that right and so what if you <laughs> what if it's like okay so we're going to do like regular games and then we'll do an apoc game but it takes the roughly the same amount of time I'm yeah. d- I'm down with that. I think that's that'll be fine. It's going to be interesting because I'm already talking with uh, the guys from Siege World about what they're going to do for their Apocalypse <laughs> game, and because Siege World is in August, August is also when uh, they want Games Workshop wants to have the largest Apocalypse game in the world at their at like Warhammer World. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's going to be interesting. It's like so obviously the rules are going to be out by then. So whether I've got my opinion. So whether Apocalypse, like the Siege World Apocalypse game, will use the new system, or if it'll be a last hurrah for like old school. I would kind of hope it's the last hurrah for the old Apocalypse, and that way also Warhammer World can have its like hurrah for the new Apocalypse, and Uh then you can kind of have both around. Well, the interesting thing is Siege World was the they still hold, or at least they did hold, like they had the record if they don't currently have it for the largest Apocalypse game. Nice, up you know. So we'll have to see if they can regain their title. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, the one I played in was a lot of fun. I know. I'm, I'm contemplating it. We'll see what my schedule looks like. Oh, Custodes are getting a new gunship, by the way. Yeah. The oh Ares my... gunship. I like it and don't like it for different reasons. It, it looks like someone took an Orion and chopped the back half off. Yeah. <laughs> I think it looks awesome. I'm just scared yeah. to see what yeah. the, the dollar amount would be. <laughs> Well, it's pro- it'll be less than the Orion, well, since it's not as big. Yeah. Of which but, we'll get to that progress yeah. at the end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's about it for 40K. Everything oh, else that, is like fantasy. You Necromunda. said that's the Ares? That was the, yeah, the Ares gunship. Yeah. It looks pretty. And um, then, I will say Titanicus yeah. is getting mo- like more Reaver weapons, more Knight weapons, and the Perfurian Knight for Titanicus. And they've also announced that Aeronautica Imperialis is coming back as well. Which is yeah, air war in about that. the same scale. In the same scale as 40K or the same the scale? Same scale as Titanicus. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Well, the idea is it's like fleets of ships. No, I know. Uh, I, get, I get that, but I've got my own planes that if it was for my own planes, I'd be like, oh, I have some interest No, there, no, but this is going to be. I don't want to buy new more stuff. I buy enough what was stuff. the uh, scour? Oh, God, what was scour the, the skies? The, scour the skies. We could always just revive that. No. I wanted to try that and I was like, no, I'm like, or no, no. was it Burning Skies? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah, I don't remember. it didn't get off but the it ground. Was no, it was, it was, <laughs> it, it was pretty, it was pretty bad. Uh, there's also some cool new like Legion stuff for 30k. So like, if you play White Scars or Black Templars, there's some cool. It's not Black cool Templars. It's uh, Dark Angels. 
The dark remember, angels? Yeah, those are dark angels. Because remember, dark angels pre-heresy colors are black. Oh, I, yeah, I just assume those are black Templars. Mm-mm, I saw the uh, no, Templar. like, Templar shoulder on, logo on the shoulder just assumed. Okay, so blood angels. No, not blood <laughs> angels. Dark angels. Dark angels. Those are dark angels. Eh, I don't buy it. (laughs) That's because you don't play 30K. That's also true. Although some of these guys that are in black here, these are actually white scars in the black Oh, those are. Yeah, those are white scars. Okay. But I've also seen some. Now, there is a Blood Angel character that they've got. Yeah. But no, there are also uh, some Dark Angel models with like storm shields and such that are coming. So more cool Legion 30K stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and that's about that's about it for 40k releases. But there's just a lot a lot of very cool stuff coming down the pipe. Yeah, here we go. Horse Heresy, Dark Angels. Yeah, the the guys with like power with like storm shields, those are definitely Dark Angels. Yeah, okay. That's yeah, those are the ones I was thinking of. Yeah. Um they look like Templars mention, though. Do we also want to mention the seven inch uh Bondy like action figures. Oh yeah, the Bandai Primaris Marine (laughs) and the Chibi two inch characters that are coming. Okay, the two inch characters look really cool. I like them. I know they serve no purpose other than decoration. Yeah, I want want them all. The seven inch Funko Pops are coming out too. So well, the Funko Pops are already out. Yeah, but are they out now? Yeah, yeah. yeah, You can. Yeah, I've I've had mine for a couple of weeks now. But uh, she's chill. I do like, but the seven-inch tall premiere. I'll I'll probably buy one because it looks cool. I'm not so, but okay. I I say I'm not fully articulated too, which is cool. I say I'm not, but if they like did a howling banshee or a harlequin, I would probably be all up on that. Yeah, you would. (laughs) But the fact that it's a space marine, you'd buy you'd buy like a unit of five and have them all posed. Yes, you would. You know (laughs) it. If it's harlequins, maybe, but banshees, no. I can go with one banshee. But yeah, that's uh, that is new. That's what's coming down the pipe over the next few months. So there is much interesting stuff ahead, and I'm I'm curious to like I especially want to try out the contrast paints because I think when they by the time they come out, yeah. I'll have recovered from painting the armies that <laughs> the Black Legion army I'm painting right now, <laughs> and uh, I have um, I have Blood Angels I want to work on. So I want I will probably do like a test model to see how the uh, the red works for them. I think luckily all the big tournaments I want to go to this year I'm mostly painted on, mm-hmm. except for any new models I've been buying. Which is a lot of them. Hush you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it looks like they will have purples and pinks in that range. So yeah, they... but I've, I've still got the airbrush, and I'll probably just do the airbrushing on. True, true. To, to that, have them match the rest yeah. of my yeah. demonettes. Yeah. Uh, well, let's jump over now to the white dwarf that came out a couple of weeks ago and uh, talk Inari. Um, we knew Inari was coming... And uh, unfortunately, it is not a full-blown codex. It is, in fact, the Inari pamphlet that we've been joking about all this time come true. But uh, it does bring some massive... For being such a small small pamphlet, It it's big changes for the Inari. Yes and no. I'll start with the no, and then you can go to the yes. Okay. In the beginning, like every other mini codex, or in this case, index... Well, this is the first time an index I know has history and lore uh, the, and all that. The, the Assassin's one did, too. Okay. I'm very disappointed in it because I expected them to take the Inari somewhere, but they just kind of rehash everything that you already know about the Inari. And so much so that even when you get to the timeline of events, it ends with, oh, sorry, I'm, this is spoilers, but this spoilers is like two, like two years, years ago. ago I so I don't feel bad no. where Yvrain stabs Gulaman and Bobby G comes back to life. And that's where it ends. 
a lot of things have happened since then. Why is <laughs> that they? not in here? Have they? Well, it's been, have what, like a hundred some years? That's nothing to the uh, Eldar, so. Yeah. True, but I'm hoping that's that way. To, it's, it's like Games Workshop, it would be a lot. Of course, to- also, it seems like the entire the the entire span of the history is like this is what happened over like three days pretty right. much because i mean <laughs> if if you read the um the books two years ago when yeah, they the gathering out, storm y- yeah the ga- it's the same story all they did was just kind of give you a cliff notes version here yeah and and yeah i think that really disappointed me because i wanted to see where the yunari were going where they're going to take them because th- we knew they were changing the rules so are they going to change directions are they going to change units are they going to do any of that and they did make changes, but they uh, the, the the okay. So the changes to the Inari rules themselves are rather major. Uh, yes. First off, yes. strength from death has been completely reworked. It is no longer uh, free actions, and I think that's consistent with what we saw with the Sisters Codex, like the Beta Codex of that. Free actions in 40k, the action economy in 40k cannot handle the concept of free, just absolutely free actions. Mm-hmm. The game does not, which is one reason why Inari was so good, and that's done now. So uh, instead, uh, what you get is um, it, once a unit has died, as soon as any unit is destroyed, all units from your army with this ability benefit from soul burst actions until the end of the turn, while a unit is benefiting from soul burst actions, which is a really badly phrased word because they're not taking actions. It just, like if they said... They they soul burst and while soul bursting, or just say anyone with strength from death gains gains it. this yeah. ability. But basically, they always yeah. fight first in the fight phase if they already have that ability, um, or they or they charged. If a unit with strength from death that's or a unit that's benefiting from soul burst actions made a charge move this turn, so they would act first normally. Then they get uh, plus one to hit rolls with melee. I actually think this is fitting. It, it is a lot less powerful. I'm sure they probably could have come up with something more powerful, but this is so fitting because this is the Slanesh rule. And it's like, hey, are you guys really not Slanesh? <laughs> so I, I just find that humorous in my mind that Slanesh and Yunari pretty much have the same trait. Yeah. Uh, and so here, here's the other big changes, though, is how you build the... How you build your... (laughs) See, now you got me saying Slanesh. How you build the Inari army. You still have to include one of the three named Inari characters in a detachment. They do not automatically make it an Inari detachment. You can choose not to. You you can choose to throw, like, Ivrain into a Drukhari detachment and keep it as a Drukhari detachment. And then she just becomes, like, one of those characters or units where... She doesn't get the benefit from the rest of the rules, but she doesn't stop the rest of the detachment from counting as whatever sub-faction and getting their rules. So it doesn't violate Battle Brothers or anything like that. She doesn't count against that. If you choose to make it in an Ari detachment, for one thing, you no longer have to make one of those characters the Warlord. Any character in that detachment can be the Warlord. They just have It has to contain one of these characters. Um, if they do... They gain the Inari keyword, which is not a faction keyword. It no longer counts as a faction keyword. It's just a keyword that they have. Uh, they no longer count as a Craft Worlds, Harlequin, or Drukhari detachment. So they no longer get access to the stratagems, warlord traits, detachment abilities, psychic powers, tactical objectives. Or relics. Or relics. They lose 
all access to that. So no more, I'm going to use my same hand stratagems on my Inari Shining Spears. No more benefiting from like anything from another book in that regard. Um, also, note that you cannot use Craftworld, Harlequin, or Trikari stratagems or psychic powers to affect Inari units from your army, even if they have the appropriate keyword. So once a unit gains Inari... Like another, like a craft world farseer can't target them with something that targets like a friendly uh, Asuriani or craft world character or unit because they don't count as that anymore, even though they still have the appropriate keywords. And to be fair, also in the fact, which I know we'll kind of get into later, but I'll jump the gun a little bit. Um, they did change the Eldar psychic powers that now focus, they only work for craft world. Uh huh. So because that, yep. yeah. Well, because you could also... They only, like, bracket craft world? No, for Asriani. Asriani. So they do not now work for Dukari or Harlequins either. Yeah. So, uh, but you also can't target an Asriani that is also Inari. Correct. Yeah. In addition, all Inari units replace every instance of bracket craft world, bracket cabal, bracket witch cult, or bracket mask on their data sheet with the appropriate keyword from the table below, which is reborn whatever, reborn Asriani, reborn Drukari, reborn Harlequin. What this, the upshot of all this, you may notice there's something I didn't say, and that's the they lose battle focus, power from pain, rising crescendo, uh, ancient doom. Which they used to. It used to strength for death strength from death replace that ability. It no longer does. They still have because those unit those rules are not from being in a detachment. Those are on their individual data sheets. So they don't lose that. Which I think that's really good, especially for the Drukari and the Harlequins, because Rising Crescendo is amazing and Power from Pain really helps you survive. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you don't lose those abilities anymore. Really what Strength from Death is, is it's the replacement for all the like sub-faction traits that you would have otherwise. And power level-wise, it's about on par with those. So instead of losing other benefits, losing your other rules, but gaining this one really powerful ability to act free to act as a free action, which they have to ke- they had to keep paring down and paring down, this is just it's a much weaker ability, but it's on it on top of what they can normally do as a replacement for their craft world or cabal trait or what have you. Okay, and then here's where I'll put in my first gripe and why this is the tiny index is I really would like them to instead this does clean it up, but I still would have liked to have a full thing of here's the Yunari troop section, here's the Yunari elite mm-hmm. section, because then you have no more questions. Right. Well, and as we kind of mentioned with the chaos knights codex and the renegade knight the pamphlet i this to me is viewed i view this as a stopgap i think there's a unari codex coming at some point i think they just this was a stopgap measure to make sure that we get this fixed and make this army clear up some of the interactions and make this army like on power wise similar to other armies and then down the line we'll release a full codex that'll hopefully include everything yeah and and this definitely does clean up the interactions by basically getting rid of most of the interactions, <laughs> which getting is rid, a way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Get, they're getting rid, but then in, as we'll get to in the stratagems, they, they're they still fill there. In, yeah, they fill in a lot of the holes. Uh, something else, beast in incubi and scourge units can be included in an Ari detachment, but they don't gain strength from death. They don't stop other units from being in an Ari detachment. It just yeah, they're your mercenaries. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. they are still mercenaries. Um. 
the three units that the three characters that make up the Inari Codex are pretty much unchanged. Uh, the Vizark actually dropped in PL one. He, he dropped one power to six, and he gained a four up and vulnerable and a six inch bubble of reroll hit rolls for uh, in with melee weapons reroll ones for melee weapons of Inari units within six inches of him. So basically, he's like a chapter master or an autark, effectively. Which, that's fine. And he's more survivable now because he's got a four-up invuln. And his mm-hmm. points and Evrain's points dropped a little bit. Not a ton, just a little bit. Uh, the Incarn is still exactly the same. Of which I was hoping to see in the fact what you could do with him. Um, because his rule of just setting him up when something dies is still there. But it doesn't say that you can do it or you can't do it on the first turn. I would say that you can't because that's still... He's coming in from a reserve ability. It's not, he's not being moved, like removed and replaced on the table. Now, if you started him on the table, you could use summon, yeah, e- summon e- by death would still work. Yeah, that, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. No, that one would still work. Okay. Because mm-hmm. any ability where they start on the table and they get replaced, and we'll talk about that when they get to the big FAQ, those still work as normal. Okay. So at least that one will still yeah, be good. But inevitable death, if you start him in reserve, he wouldn't be able to come in until, uh, till turn two. And it's still sad that he can't charge on any of those because yeah. that was his big, hey, surprise, I'm here. <laughs> yep. Not anymore. And then <laughs> uh, now there's two pages of Inari Stratagems. Not going to really go into a lot of these other than to say that these are, a lot of them are standard Eldar Stratagems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them even have the same name, uh, Lightning Fast Reef. Uh, lightning fast reactions, fire and fade, uh, webway ambush, uh, great enemy, great enemy. Yeah, these are, you know, you don't even though you're losing a lot of the standard quote unquote stuff, you have the uh, you have a lot of the basics again. Um, in a in Ed's net, you have an ability to charge even if you advance. So your shining spears can still act like they're same hand shining spears. They're just not same hand shining spears anymore. I mean, other than that, there, uh, there is one. Let's see, do, 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 where is it? United in death. United in death is actually kind of uninteresting. It, yeah, it's not that useful, but it it uses all three factions. Right. Yeah. Use the stratagem yeah. at the start of the fight phase. Select a uh, reborn Ostriani, reborn Harlequin, and reborn Drukari unit from your army until the end of the phase. Add one to the attack characteristics of each of these units while they're benefiting from soul burst. Um, no, there, mm. there's a uh, what's the one I was looking for? Uh, Exalted of you need. The one that makes one of your characters like a warlord? Gives them a warlord trait? No, not that one. That's a really good one. It is a good one. It is a good one. Because it's always nice having two warlord traits. Yeah. Uh, No, it's Shrine of the Whispering God. Use the stratagem before the battle. Select up to three units of Inari Incubi from your army. Each of these units gains strength from death. So you can have Incubi that always fight first and get plus one to hit on the charge. And it just costs you two CP to do it. But yeah, otherwise, you know, their stratagems are, are, I don't think there's any of them that strike me as like, these are hugely powerful. No, they, they seem kind of balanced. I mean, and when we get to the letter, I might agree with one of the person on the Shrine of the Whispering God might be a little expensive, but I do like we back, say that I lot. do like Back from the Brink. Yeah, stratagem when an Anari yeah. infantry or biker character from your army is destroyed, a roll a d6. On a four up, set the character back again as close as possible to their previous position with D three wounds remaining. Okay, that's pretty strong. Yes, it's strong. I, I'm still mm-hmm. not a huge fan of anything spend that requires CP a roll. Spend <laughs> CP and roll. Yeah, 
It's like either spend CP or roll, but not both. But I think you said the same thing in the sisters. I did, and it still <laughs> holds true there. Uh, they have they have a variety of warlord traits. N- again, none of them are that amazing. Uh, I really like Lord of Rebirth. Well, Lord of Rebirth is the first one. Oh, okay, fi- uh, five up, feel no pain, and you gain a wound every round. Nice. Okay, so that one that one's pretty solid. The Incarn gets uh, Warden of Souls, which means when their soul when soul burst is up, add plus one attack and strength. Not bad. Uh, let's see, Ivrain gets Favorite of Ineid, which is uh, they pile in. When they pile in or consolidate, they move six inches instead of three. Vizart gets Master of Death, which uh, each un, each uh, unmodified hit roll of six made for an attack from a weapon he uses uh, is two hits instead of one. And besides Lord of Rebirth, I, like, I feel like we have to mention the Walker of Many Paths. Right. Because it's your command point one in the back. <laughs> yeah. Although again, with uh, tactical restraint, those aren't nearly as as broken as they were right. Before. They they feel more balanced. That I I would probably take Lord of Rebirth over Walker of Many Paths. Yeah. And then Revenant Discipline got expanded, but also had the ability to create extra actions taken away, which of course it would. That's just kind of a thing. Yeah. The the one thing I'll I'll notice quickly about the Revenant Discipline is. You have the six powers. You don't have like, you know how there's always like that primary, like the base power that, that you always had, and then you added the other six. Yeah, this one is just these six, or I might just be talking about old things. Uh, that's old. Yeah, they haven't oh done that. Oh my gosh. Okay. This edition. Yeah. You can you're... ignore me, Kevin. I'm I'm old. <laughs> we know that. No, but the, the powers are nice, but definitely the best one was the one that let you choose a unit and have them take another action right which is mm-hmm. no longer there uh, it's the the name's the same but it's completely different uh cuz that was ward of the phoenix which is now um unit Your heal re- yeah it's a heal wound or return a model which that is really nice it, it actually fits the name a bit better anyway oh yes totally um <laughs> the the new powers they have otherwise are uh shield of Ineid, which gives uh Inari units a five up invulnerable say within six inches of the psyker. Yeah, that I also really like. Unbind souls lets you reroll wound rolls for attacks made by. Uh, so you select an enemy unit within eighteen inches. Uh, all your melee attacks uh, reroll to wound rolls. That is useful. It's kind of like a mini doom, except only in the melee phase. And this is a very melee focus. Like everything yeah. on this is focused on melee, which is why witch elves for this aren't is are actually really solid. Oh, witches, yeah. Yeah, which, <laughs> yeah, wi- like, <laughs> Drukhari witches. Right. Yeah, are actually... When you said witch elves, my mind went, but that's fantasy. <laughs> They're the same thing. I mean, they are literally the same thing. Fair enough. <laughs> the only thing is, these are being led by, like, a normal-looking Eldar, as opposed to a giant snake woman. True. True. <laughs> and then Storm of Whispers... Uh, you roll 3D... It's basically an aura of mortal wounds. It's not that great. 3D6. You roll 3D6 for each enemy unit within six inches of the Psyker for each result of six, so possibly up to three. The unit roll being rolled for suffers one mortal wound. So if you end up in the middle of several units, you could do... Or if you're up against a character. Here's a chance of doing three mortal wounds. Right. Odds are you'll do zero, but... Gaze of Inuit is is better. Oh, so much better. Yeah. 
So, but yeah, that is that's no. Then we got the relics. The oh, relics are actually an important part because now you can take them, right? And it feel it doesn't feel bad because I mean they say one just put it on a character, and two since the, the, your vein doesn't have or any of them don't have to be your warlord, you can just put a relic and say this guy's my warlord. Look at his cool power. Yep. So uh, some of them are really cool. Yeah, hungering blade uh, does mortal wounds on wound rolls of six. It's a power sword, Starglaive or Husk Blade, that is plus three strength, which is also really nice for Eldar. Yes. <laughs> plus three strength, minus three AP, two damage, and the possibility of doing mortal wounds. Um, Song of Inead, a shuriken pistol that uh, every time that basically has um, the shuriken ability that. Oh yeah, well all the pistols have that. that. They, yeah, they, that's they, the AP minus three. AP minus. The, the this biggest one is that you heal, or no the. No, they subtracts one from its leadership characteristic until end of game if you hurt. End of with turn. It. End oh, you're right. It does say only end of turn. It's that's only end cool of turn. Then. No, that's not, not cool. Then I, most pistol replacements are not good. Oh, okay. Uh, mirror gaze subtract <laughs> like one, one from hit rolls uh, from attacks that target the bearer. I like that one because that is like a always on shroud. Yes. Uh, soul snare uh, basically gives you a a smite. It's okay. You can throw the soul snare if they do select an. Enemy unit within six inches of invisible to the bearer, roll 1d6. On a one, nothing happens. Two to five, they take d3 mortal wounds. On a, And the bearer regains the same number of wounds. On a six, the enemy unit suffers d6 mortal wounds, and the bearer regains all of their lost wounds. Hmm. I mean, it is... I don't know. It's not terrible. It's not terrible, but I mean, if it was not once per Mirror game... Mirror Gaze is way better. Yeah, if Soul Stale yeah. was not a once per game thing, I, I would be probably all on it yep but with it once per game I, i'm not always fond of the once per game things let's see uh yep. all damage uh lost shroud is all nice. damage suffered by the bears halved rounding up in addition roll a d6 each time this model loses a wound on a five up they ignore it yes i like that one almost as much as mirror gaze and then Korag High's Locket. Each time an enemy unit is destroyed by an attack made by the bear, add one to the bear's move and attacks characteristics for the remainder of the battle. And this one could just be fun. That one could t- theoretically turn someone into a blender. Yeah. <laughs> like that on a succubus. Yeah. No, no, you can't. Yes, you, why not? Well, I, mean, I was thinking, you could even put it on Lilith. No, no, you, you can't, can't put, put it on Lilith. Well, Lilith can't even be an Inari character because she's a named character. You can't put. I think you can still put her in Yanari unless she mm-hmm. was named. Nope. Mm-hmm. Any no, any Eldari named character. Oh, okay. Okay, then yes, you can. You can't even put him put them in the same detachment together. That's sad. You used to, but you could. You could have a, a Drukari detachment and an Inari Drukari detachment, even right. though they still have. But she still couldn't have the Crags heart. But she still couldn't have Craig Heist. Yeah, no. Vocket, sorry. Vocket, but yeah. I mean, all in all, I, I think this is a, a really good side grade for them. I mean, I don't want to call it a downgrade because a couple things, yes, are totally changed. But that's mostly for action economy, which we've all noted action economy is bad when you have a lot of free actions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, everything else that I see that I would do with the Yanari is still there. And more so if I wanted to put in like extra HQs and give them neat new powers, I don't think I can get another... Like I, I don't think I can get the um, move and attack thing in an Eldar army. Yeah, so it's like I can try new stuff. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- it's 
And because it doesn't replace the old abilities, I think that's something that a lot of people have... Because we're just so used to the strength from death replaces that. No, it's just... It's a chapter tactic, is effectively what it is. It's... I think it's fine. I mean, is it as powerful? No. Are you going... I think you are going to see fewer people taking Inari because they don't have to if they just want to splash in of rain for like... Like mm-hmm. true for yes. psychic defense or something like that into like a Drukari army. Yeah, because I mean she would she would only be psychic defense because her um, spells wouldn't work on the Drukari. Yeah, which here's an interesting point for ITC. Inari is not a faction keyword. Will Inari be considered just whatever the rest of the, whatever the other part of the army is, or will they just be considered an Eldari army at that point? That is for them to debate. Mm, yeah. I would say that. Even though it's not a faction keyword, it should act. It, it should be kind of treated act, like yeah. a faction keyword, especially if you you make two of your three detachments and like fifteen hundred of your points are, and your warlord is all Yunari. Well, now remember, you have to be purely. You are Eldari. Right, you have to be okay, so if you yeah. if you made your entire army Inari, should you still count? Will they still have an Inari faction? In? I hope they say yes, because if you're taking that much time to make all three of your detachments Yunari or three or less, but all of your detachments Yunari. That means you've put effort into determining I want to play Yunari. Yunari have different relics, different stratagems, different things than Eldari, than Drukari, than Harlequins. So I think they're different. Uh, yeah, no, I think there are. And I but I think this is going to be an Inari army that a lot that people will not have as much of a problem playing against, also. Oh yeah. But not mm-hmm. just because Inari army, like if they got the jump on you, it could be a very one-sided game because they would, the minute they pick off one of your units, everything the else silver silver kicks in, and then yeah, then it's just it's terrible. This is this is better. This is better for the game. I know there are people that are not happy about it. We'll be hearing from <laughs> from that in our letters section, but I think it's uh, I think it's fine. Speaking of letters, let's go ahead and transition over to listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And at the end of the segment, we'll tell you how you can get a letter read on the air. Uh, So first up, a short one from Cordell Trusty, writing in response to our datasheet doctors for... Uh, Chaos Space Marines last episode. Hello, quick email on Chaos. I'm sure others have emailed you guys. The icon for Chaos Gods can be taken as banners. Page 153 of the old Chaos book. Several units can take a banner, devoting their faith, allowing them to receive additional abilities. Just wanted to bring this to your attention. So on the one hand, yes, this is true. You can take uh, the icons of uh, various gods, which do give particular units an ability, like uh, corn can reroll charge rolls, uh, zinch can do mortal wounds uh, during the psychic phase if they're within on the closest enemy within twelve inches on a roll of six. Uh, Nurgle gets uh, a leadership penalty. Uh, Slanesh gets a death to the false emperor on a five instead of a six. Ooh, and I think these are at 10 points each. Something like that. And then uh, Icon of Vengeance, which I was, I did say something incorrectly last episode. You can choose not to take a Mark of Chaos, even though it's an entry mm-hmm. on the sheet. You can choose not to take one. And because there's no mechanical benefit to taking one other than being targetable by stratagems, there's no pen- penalty for not taking one. There's no benefit to not take one, or, but there's no penalty either. Other than you can't be uh, world eaters or or... Emperor's children, but 
Yeah. Well, one of the benefits is that uh, there is a general icon of chaos that isn't God specific. Right. The vengeance. Icon of vengeance. Yeah. Plus one so, leadership to everybody yeah, in the unit. The, we did we did skip mentioning the icons, uh, and that was an oversight on our on our part. Honestly, though, I really think only two of them are any good. Uh, the corn one's really good, really fluffy, and you're always going to take it on your berserkers. Um, vengeance is okay. <laughs> No, Sorry. no, uh, the yeah, wrath is the wrath one for corn is fantastic, um, yeah, and, and it's pretty much a must-have. These uh, the, the Venge- icon of excess is pretty good, is it? No, it's not. I it only affects half the armies in the game. It's death of the false mm-hmm. emperor. That doesn't trigger. Like if I'm playing against uh, Eldar, yeah, it doesn't yeah. trigger. Yeah, um, yeah. No, vengeance is actually not terrible because plus one yeah. leadership helps. Yeah, but like the icon of flame, icon of despair, eh, not 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 particularly great. But so like I w- I would prefer to see them revamp the whole mark system of chaos anyway, and part of that would be to fix those banners. <laughs> yeah, so that would be for Chaos more. Space Marines three. Chaos Space Marines yeah. three, we're gonna get it right this time. Uh, right. Well, and also like this doesn't address like the banners. That is one way to do it, but the banners don't uh, affect core stats the way that the old mark Mm. system used to and because everything's using a unified system you know vehicles and infantry and everything is all in the same rule set having the ability to mark and get those stat bonuses is something that could be applied across the army and would actually make be bad well i was gonna say make real functional differences (laughs) yeah Yeah. like a tough nine land raider i don't want to see that I don't know that I necessarily want to see the marks have the ability benefit they did before, but I do want to see them do something more than they do now. Agreed. Yeah, because yeah. right now they're like, like you said, it's a tattoo that does nothing. Yeah, it, it, it looks nice, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Next up is a letter from Daniel Hawthorne. This one's a bit of a long one. He starts. Hi, P.E. I need to vent. So going into this, know that this is a vent letter from a listener. So just we'll just read it. And do we want to answer the the points one by one or wait till the end? Because <sighs> he does put the points as, as direct points. So it'd be easier because there's a lot of points. To do them one by one. To do them one by okay. one. But and, and also just, just note, we've all had the time where we just have to get something off our chest. We just have to vent through yeah. it and then we feel better afterwards. Yeah. So let, let's just what t- this is. take that in the spirit of this is somebody getting stuff off their chest to us. So uh, I need to vent rather than retooling and tweaking the Inari GW opted to effectively eliminate them from the game. Problem one strength from death is incoherently written, often referencing soul burst actions of which there are none. The term is unnecessary as all soul burst action is, is either always strike first or plus one to hit. Those are effects, not actions. Okay. I, as I, I said, agree. Yeah, we agree that <laughs> yeah. that could have been written clearer. Um, it, I think calling it soul burst actions, it just confuses the issue as related to previous soul burst actions, but yeah. I, okay. That's fine. Not really a mechanical complaint, but okay. Yeah. Problem two. An Inari force cannot include a solitaire, which seems to be a narrative choice, but is not consistent. And then he kind of drops off on this point with problem three. With problem so three. Link them together. Okay. Um, 
cannot include a solitaire. Uh, we Dennis and I actually talked about this before recording. Because yeah, just off the top of my head, I'm like, yo, they can't include a solitaire? Why not? Oh, you can include all the other hard ones. Yeah, the, the, the restrictions are no avatars, no named characters, no solitaires, and no, nobody from a homunculus coven. Um, but then we talked about it. What does the solitaire represent? The solitaire represents Slanesh in a Harlequin army. Yep. What happens to the solitaire when the solitaire dies? Their soul goes to Slanesh. Because they don't wear a soul stone. Well, none of the Harlequins do. Right. But their soul, but the re- while the rest of the Harlequin souls are protected by Kagoric, right. the solitaire's is not. That doesn't really jibe well with the whole point of the Reborn, which right. is they don't, they collect souls and soul stones and, and their the souls o- are safe. The, the other thing is if the solitaire represents Slanesh, the Reborn is to fight against Slanesh, so the Solitaire probably doesn't want to be around because they would be a distraction because they're kind of psychically attuned to Slanesh a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's why they always stay by themselves. So it makes sense narratively that they're not going to be a part of the Yanari army. Yeah. Problem three. Incubi units do not benefit from strength from death unless you actively pay for it with an overpriced stratagem, which seems to be a workaround because the Incubi are weirdly a faction keyword, not a sub-faction keyword, and they try to keep the rules within Codex Drukari consistent at the cost of narrative consistency. I, I, I disagree that it's a narrative inconsistency. The Incubi have always been kind of their own thing, especially in the new Codex. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll, I'll agree, with, but I could see them, the ones, especially the ones that coming in, that they might decide to pledge themselves. Like, I can take Aspect Warriors, uh-huh. which technically that's what Incubi are, True. and pledge mm-hmm. them into Yanari. So I, I do agree with why do they have to be the ones that are different. I, I understand they're different in um, Drukari. Drukari society because they are the Aspect Warrior, and the, the, we don't have Aspect Warriors, so we treat you like mercenaries. So that's why they're kind of the fringe. They do their own thing. But once they go into the um, Yanari, especially with the Vizark being Yanari, and mm-hmm. he was an Incubi, yeah, I think they should just get it normally. Or if you have to use a command point at the start of the game, make it one. Two just seems mm-hmm. really, really high to me. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Problem four, psychic powers and stratagems from non-Inari units do not affect Inari units, even if they have the appropriate keyword. This undermines keywords and would be akin to suggesting Reboot Golem and Zara does not affect non-Ultramarines units, even if they have the appropriate keyword. Now we need to start worrying about when keywords work and when they don't. However, that's also been addressed a bit with the Eldar FAQ. That, that has, but as you pointed out, if I have an Eldari um, detachment and a Yanari detachment... Even though I do have Yanari or Eldari in my Yanari, wow, this is getting. <laughs> I can't cast my Eldari spells from Detachment On A the- onto the ones in Detachment B. Yeah, which I get that, and this is why I will say, please, 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 give us a Yanari Codex where you put all the units, not just these three, and, and so then- that way this goes away because you cast your Yanari powers on your Yanari people. Mm-hmm. It makes it so much better. Yeah. I, I don't think it necessarily undermines keywords. It's a very specific case that affects one specific kind yeah, of detachment. This is a fringe case. Yeah. Although, I, I don't know, I would be happy if um, Bobby G's are only affected Ultramarines. Instead of all Imperium? Yeah. Well, the one thing I'll say, though, with, with Bobby G, and I think, because I do think that he's kind of uh, an he edge case. Really yeah, he too. is another like, edge he's, case. He is the, you know, supreme commander of the Imperium, whereas, like, 
uh, oh gosh, I just blanked on his name. The ultramarine lieutenant now. Um, Calgar, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, whereas Calgar's benefits do only apply to ultramarines. True. Like the guardsmen standing next to him don't benefit from him. So keywords have always mattered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Problem five. In order for non-triumvirate units to benefit from strength from death, they need to be in a detachment with one of the triumvirate models so the detachment can get new sub-faction keywords and become an Inari detachment. The article specifically excludes super heavy auxiliary detachments, but since neither super heavy auxiliary detachments nor super heavy detachments can have HQ choices, they can never be an Inari detachment, so they can never benefit from strength from death. Including the exclusion in the article is both redundant and confusing. Yeah, I mean, it's consistent, so there's no wiggle room. Sometimes you have to put that kind of stuff there just to be, like, crystal clear. Yeah, there's no way to get for them to get here, but we've also put this in so nobody can try to figure out a way to make it happen. We've specifically spelled it out. Okay, fine. I'd rather, I would rather have a redundant clarification than no clarification. Mm-hmm. Problem six, the psychic powers are very uneven, specifically with Storm of Whispers being laughably bad and Unbind Souls being a worse doom that is redundant with the stratagem, Inevitable Fate. Lastly, Craftworld and Harlequin Psychers losing access to their main psychic trees rather than gaining the Revenant discipline as an option is inconsistent with how similar situations were handled in other codexes. Example, Thousand Suns. It's it's a fair, I, I, it's yeah, a fair I critique. Mean, yeah. Not incorrect. I mean, there, there. Are, it is weird how other ones have been, how they've chosen to apply these rules in certain scenarios. Again, I think this is probably going to be a stopgap, and I imagine that things will get straightened out at some point down the line. Yeah, but on the, the flip side, I don't think that they will ever give the Unari full access to the Harlequin and Eldar um, psychic powers. Yeah. Now, I think we will agree Storm of Whispers, which is that roll 3d6 for everybody around six inches on a six for each six they take a mortal wound it is the weakest power in the bunch yes and also the the doom only in melee is not as good as just doom that eldar have right mm-hmm. that's in he compared it to inevitable fate which yes it is a stratagem that you can use that you target a unit during the fight phase and you yeah it Inevitable Fate is a stratagem. It's also a 2CP stratagem. Oh, that's high. So you're, ca- you're basically getting the chance to get the equivalent of that stratagem for free or do target two units, if you think about it. One you do in the psychic phase and the other you do in the fight phase. So, yes, it, it duplicates work, but it does get, it keeps you from spending 2CP on it. So I think that's a fair trade. But we do agree that the psychic need a little tweaking. Yeah. Because they, but they do specify that Inari psychers cannot take runes of battle, runes of fate, or phantasmagoria. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Seven. The stratagems are a hot mess. Back from the brink is Terabad and should either cost one CP or not be random. Agreed. I don't think <laughs> maybe, it's Terabad. Well, and maybe not once. Uh, I would be good with two CP, but always works. Yeah. Or one CP and random. Okay, yeah, but it, I don't think it's terrible. It just needs to be tweaked. Yeah, United in Death requires such a specific build as to be all but unusable. I will. That's no different than some of the Drukari stuff that requires certain builds to yeah. pull off. Uh, as we talked about before, that's that's stratagems. Like a lot of the stratagems are very specific edge cases of specific builds. That's why they're stratagems and not like actual abilities that go in the army. If you build this way, cool. If not. 
don't you take that card out of your deck and you don't carry it with you. Like, Let's see. Whispering Spirits, which is a leadership penalty stratagem, is laughably overpriced to 2 CP and likely wouldn't even get used if it was 1 CP because there are too many ways to ignore or mitigate morale. Actually, there are some pretty decent builds that can tank somebody's morale, especially if you're leaning heavily into Drukhari with like uh, Phantasm Launchers, things like that. So maybe not terrible, terrible, but 2 CP is over is overpriced for that. Shrine of the Whispering God is overpriced and realistically should happen naturally, though not through a stratagem. Yeah, uh, which we discussed that one already. Right. Uh, inevitable Fate is redundant with a psychic power. We already discussed that. I think it's fine them being redundant because it's two different ways to pay for the same ability. Lastly, and most egregiously, a taste for death has no actual noticeable effect in the game. If a unit is destroyed and another unit by shooting, then they benefit from strength from death. And if they fight in melee the same turn they charge, which means the effect from strength from Strength for death is a plus one to hit, so they're already hitting on two up, so there's no scenario wherein this stratagem has an in-game effect. So let's read that one. That is Taste for Death. Taste for Death. Use the stratagem when an enemy unit is destroyed as a result of an attack made by a ranged weapon by an Inari unit from your army. Add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit until the end of turn. So it it, it is not... It is plus two... But you're assuming that everybody's going to be hitting... And most Eldar units, I'm assuming, do hit on threes? The majority are threes, yes. The majority are threes? Characters are mostly twos, but the rank and file are threes. Okay. Unless you're a, a troop, troop, I think Guardians might be... No, Guardians are down to threes. Yeah. yeah. So, on the one hand, there are cases where it could be handy. You have, uh, Wait a minute. You have to wipe a unit. It, ha- it has to be wiping a unit out. The only unit they could wipe out and be locked in already would be if they shot somebody with pistols, in which case they're not charged. Mm-hmm. In which case they don't have anybody to fight. We agree. We, this is this is pretty. It, it's pretty <laughs> weak. It's pretty weak. The only thing, as I can see, is if you're fighting somebody that has penalties to hit, an extra plus one will counter the penalties. Yeah, it it is. It no, I'll, I'll agree. This one's poorly thought out. I wouldn't say the stratagems are a hot mess, but. There's, I think it's the new stratagems need some tweaking. Yeah, and there, there's some good ones. There's some bad ones. Yeah, and you'll find that in every, every codex. codex. Yeah. Problem eight: the plus one to hit from strength from death and the six up to ignore wounds are both included in power from pain. And since Rukari units no longer lose power from pain, the actual benefits of doing so are incredibly or effectively redundant, making cabals and cults actively worse since they don't get their obsessions on top of power from pain. I mean, I can see that as a fair point, but as we have kind of said, there it seems like the goal was to take away your craft world or cabal traits and replace those traits with strength, strength from death. death. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So you'll still, I mean, you will get to a plus two, which again, in many cases, won't make a big difference. But it doesn't make. I don't think it would necessarily make them worse because if the only the plus one to hit is not the main reason you have power from pain. And also consider the power from pain is still active even if you don't kill a unit. Right. I mean, think about if you're playing against a like a Death Guard army or something like that where it's going to be harder to kill units, still having the plus one different power from pain, it makes it less conditional. So I think that's still fine. 
Problem nine, the Incarn is about 150 points overpriced. It's effectively a vastly worse demon prince, but previously its biggest draw was that it might be able to fight twice in a turn due to Soul Burst, and that was largely factored into the Incarn's insanely high price, which is 337 points. The Vizarch is similarly overpriced, but... but Probably only by about 40 points. He is about 120 now, which puts him on par with mm, most characters. Yeah, I, I I think the Vizarch's probably in an okay spot. The Incarn, I do think, is a little high at 337. I mean, six strength, six toughness, nine wounds, six attacks, three up, five up, eight inch movement. I mean, it's it's all solid and a Psyker. Um, oh, no, I lied. Three up, four up. Four yeah. up and vulnerable save. But I don't think he really has that same killing potential that other things that are 300 plus have. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it used to be made up for it. Yes, because he can attack twice. He can do this. He can just pop up and charge. Um, yeah, none of those tricks he has anymore. I mean, I don't know that he's 120 down too, well, too much because, well, maybe he is. If I think about the, the new Slash thing that came out that's 210 and has like 16 attacks and... <laughs> it's also a psyker and it can it is has lots of aura buffs but maybe about know. 70 points drop maybe about 250, 250 yeah because i mean the the air quote nice thing about the incarn is it's hideable because it only has nine wounds mm. but if you think about it i mean well it, it goes to the debate of should this be the hideable HQ type that is like a buff monster, or should he be the terror on the field that is the fire magnet that goes out and just can kill everything? Yeah. I get the real feel that the way they're designing him is to be the buff magnet, to have him like buff up your troops, cast the psychic powers, pop up wherever something dies, and then to help out and and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's 337 points worth. So yeah, I I think it probably should drop, but not by 120, maybe, maybe about 70, like you said, Rob. Yeah. And I don't think the Vizarch is overpriced because, A, his point cost dropped by 20 points, and he's a lot more survivable. Now, his sword did get a little less good. Uh, it used to be that uh, he would do he would lower their leadership if they took any wounds, any unsaved wounds. Now, he actually has to inflict a casualty. So, he actually has to kill someone before that effect. That takes yeah, effect. Yeah, if he's going against troops, though. Yeah, I mean, he'll still... It'll, it's effectively the same thing in that regard. Problem 10, square peg and round hole sy- syndrome. The emphasis on hand-to-hand fo- forces players to use armies that are ultimately not resilient, are geared towards short-range firepower, and not threatening enough in hand-to-hand to value getting stuck in stuck in over holding at a distance to try to compete in an area where they're decidedly deficient, and it is also the weakest area in the game compared to firepower. In addition, the rules seem to emphasize stacking bonuses to hit, but there's no benefit to doing so, like exploding hits on 6-up, not even in stratagem form, so they're just meaninglessly redundant. On the one, that may be true, but I've also seen a lot of Inari builds that are going Venom heavy. So, so you have a lot of witches that are getting plus one to hit. So they're, you know, charging in on, you know, like early on. And then just the overwhelming firepower of the Venoms, just, you know, with the dual splinter rifles or splinter, I guess, splinter cannons on those. And, and I, I will also agree and disagree about the, the, assault army being like assault army with no range and finally just one dimensional. That was Eldar for a long time. That is Slanesh right now. 
you can probably name other army. Harlequins at least have a little bit of range, but Harlequins are they're they focus on melee. Any any army that focuses on melee has three strength, three toughness. You're just gonna have a hard time from the get go. And then you know that going in. Mm-hmm. So trying to just say that, well, they're not powerful because they've been like that. I mean, there's not much I can say to that other than you just acknowledge it and do your best around it because you're not going to be getting much help. So summation in the competitive scene, if rain will be used by some Drukari players to have access to or deny and to toss out mortal wounds with any gaze and smite, which, okay. Yeah. I, Mad. Totally, we already said that that's probably going to happen. That's it. They've otherwise eliminated Inari from the game with non-competitive, non-narrative rules. The worst of both worlds. <laughs> I think that's hyperbole. Yeah. Now, in the competitive scene, is Inari going to be knocked a few notches down? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think they're going to knock from top to mid-tier. Yeah, they're a mid-tier army. That's not the only reason to play Inari, though. Uh, maybe I guess if all you care about is winning competitive events, I can see why it, you might not want to play Inari. I don't, th- I don't agree with the non-narrative rules. Yeah, that's the one I'll I'll not agree with as well, except other than the named character part. Because I mean, even in the stories, Lilith I, helped them out. Lilith helped them out, but she didn't full on join the in- Inari. So okay. you can still I'll have gra- them in the same army. You just can't have them in the that. same detachment. She, okay, I will grant you that. Until they come out with a book that says she joins the Inari, which I guess they probably won't because mm-hmm. we're not moving the storyline on. The story stops with Bobby G getting stabbed. I'm still salty about that part. <laughs> well, I think they'll move the storyline forward, but I doubt that you see them move, moving any named characters over because it effectively would remove those named characters True. from their books. And it and would I, also I be good to keep her with the Dark Eldar because she is – or the Drakari, sorry. Because she is the named succubus yeah, person. yeah. We just need to have them give us Vect. <laughs> It'd be nice to actually have Vect back in the game. Yes. All right, and then finally, a letter from Jen Minear. Jen writes, Greetings, preferred enemies. Before the crunch of this letter, I would just like to take... I would just like to thank the entire 40k slash wargaming community. Over the past seven to ten months, I've wrestled with my gender identity, and folks in not only my local community, but adjacent ones were quick to adopt to my preferred names and pronouns. I just started treatment for gender affirmation, and I have a partner that is fully with me for support and love. Which, oh, that is awesome. I'm glad the community, you know, that's one of those things, like, you always kind of worry about the community, you know, because... Uh, you never know who's out there and who you know how people are going to take things and kind of with that like along the terms of the letter we had a while back about like is it okay to like have guys wearing dresses is that going to drive people away or make people feel uncomfortable and so it's nice to see that the community is being accepting that's always very good to see yeah uh, speaking of my partner, Sylvia, they want to get into 40k and they love the look of the new Slanesh demons. Starting at ground zero, what would be a good incremental way to build a Slanesh army? Which AQs are the way to go with now? Also, the look of the Chaos Daemonkin models also had a lot of visual appeal to them. Would they provide more synergy, support, and bulk to a sub-army that isn't known for their versatility? Here are the ideas I had for starts. A, Wrath and Rapture. Awesome value and good for learning melee. Would it be worth it to keep the corn buddies as another detachment or find someone at Demon Costco to flip halves? Are we stopping there? (laughs) I I, I will say on this one, find a buddy to flip the corn. You do not. They don't don't mesh with Slanesh at all very well. Yeah. Yeah, it's to really get the benefits of it. Yeah, you you need to like kind of go all in on this one. Uh, B, Shadow Spear. The only Chaos unit in here that doesn't fit very well is the new Chaos Space Marine Skulls, but they can be kitbashed and possessed if need be. 
Mm, honestly, the ones that would be better being Kit Bash into uh, Possessed are actually like the chosen models that they had. And, uh, as someone who's currently painting a bunch of both sides, the chosen from Dark Vengeance a while back, I have a much more like Possessed, overgrown with chaos personality but even then the standard possessed gets better yeah when i was looking at shadow spear because i actually like what's this it's not demons i i didn't see much on either side that really grabbed me as i would include in a slanesh yeah i mean yeah you've got the greater possessed and you've got the like the master possession but yeah not not, a whole box worth yeah C, start collecting demons of Slanesh. More seekers are always good. Mobs of demonettes will be needed for anything close to a battalion, but the chariot seems like a sore thumb. Thoughts? Thank you for your advice and the love. Jen from Appalachia. I'll do the thoughts on C first, and then we'll get into the more stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say about the start collecting, to be honest. Demonettes are about $30. Um, you'll use demonettes a ton. So for $90, which is the same as a start collecting, you could get three squads demonettes. Yeah. Seekers are good, and last I checked, which was a couple days ago when I saw this letter come in, I did not see Seekers on the Games Workshop webpage. They're they're on there. They're thirty dollars as well. Okay, okay. I was afraid that they got taken off. And no, no. Like, they, okay, no, they they, so, they got repackaged a while back, so they're fine. So I mean, Seekers are still decent. I, I'm I'm, but the, yeah, the chariot. I love the look of the chariot. I think it's a really cool model mechanically it's garbage <laughs> well i wouldn't say it's that bad but it's, it's, not, it's good. not good <laughs> so in that regards i would not i would say not go for the start collecting just get things individually because the chariot you yeah. won't use you will it, not it use. is actually kind of interesting looking at that start collecting box though it's there's this might be the start collecting box that gives you like the least bonus value <laughs> because like you said like a unit of a unit of uh demonettes is thirty dollars a unit of seekers thirty dollars the uh, chariot is thirty dollars. You get a fifteen dollar like uh, um, herald. Okay, it's like no, I don't that's know. still it's fine weird. because okay, the chariot that's in there is the double chariot. So if you buy a normal uh, chariot yeah. box, you'd have to buy two of that normal chariot box to buy the build the chariot that's in there. Also, keep in yeah. mind the price on the start collecting boxes went up, so they're now ninety instead of eighty five. So, I guess it's true. So yeah, I mean, yeah. but also if you add in, like you said, it, yeah. we're at ninety, then add in forty five, so it still saves you forty five. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, and Kevin, I just I know it's because you didn't know about the I double chariot. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize it was two chariots because I'm like, otherwise, I'm like, this is effectively the same. Yeah, cost it's it's weird. It. That one yeah. chariot kit okay. builds two different chariots, or if you get two of that chariot kit, you can build this third variation. Sure. Okay. <laughs> that no, that it's that confusing. makes sense. That. Well, that that actually makes more sense to me because I was looking at it, going, trying to figure out where the where the benefit was on this unit uh, on this box. Whereas with all the other ones, it's pretty obvious that there's that they're a good deal. Yeah, and then on where to get started, um, actually, Warhammer Community just put out a great tactica for Demons of Slanesh, and I will agree with a lot of what they say here. There's like Demonettes; those are your core. Get as much as you can. Well, I'm saying maybe seventy ish, which is still. A That's lot. a lot, yeah. Um, they recommend running them in squads of 20 to 30. You want the extra attacks from them. so Yeah, yeah. I, I don't recommend 20. You recommend I 30. would recommend 10 or 30. 10 if you just are going to have them hold something or just hide. 30 if you want to make them useful because if you only have them at 20, they get the extra attack at 20 plus. 
So if they only have 20, as the soon as you lose one, model, yeah. you, lo- you yeah. lost your extra attack, and that feels bad. They do recommend, and I recommend as well, having Keeper of Secrets by your demonettes. One, um, the Keeper of Secrets are, your fire magnets can keep the demonettes alive that way. And with the new models of Keeper of Secrets, they look amazing. And if you take the shield, they have a um, feel no pain. I mean, it's a six up feel no pain, but it's a feel no pain. It, it's something that helps keep them alive. And now that there's 16 wounds each, they should stay alive a little bit longer, at least to get everyone up there. And if they do happen to shoot your demonettes, your demonettes can use the leadership of the Keeper of Secrets, which is 10. And jumping from a 7 to a 10 is huge. Yes. Because I've lost so many demonette squads to morale checks, it's not funny. Well, I mean, it probably is funny, but... <laughs> it, <laughs> it's it just, it's funny to other people. Yeah, yeah it, it just it feels bad. Um, I know we talked about the Seekers, and I'm huge on the Seekers. I love the Seekers. I use them so much, but... They're one of the few units that can consistently get a first turn charge. Right. But thinking about it, if you think about layering charges, I'm starting to think that the fiends might be better. Since they're going to lock people in. That's the main reason. They've got the advance. You, you get them up there. You lock somebody in. They have to deal with you in melee. They cannot run away unless they can fly, but everyone will fly. That gives your other units time to get up there, and then once your big unit, once the demonets get there, the other unit's going to be toast. I mean, how people killed Slanash's guns. So you just have to get them to not use guns by locking them up in combat. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I would recommend Fiends over Seekers right now. I mean, I, mean, I haven't fully tried this out. Uh, in- I, I mean, I would definitely, I would probably run both. Yeah, if you have points for if you have, it. I mean, yeah. Because with the other new thing, like, all the new models are really, really good. Um, the harp is nice. The um, mirror that's a psyker is super nice. Um, and then the named herald slash demon prince is also really, really nice. So uh, for HQ choices to get started, a normal herald's good if you're just going to play small games. Even in small games, the new... Um, Oh, Selisk. I think I probably butchered that. <laughs> uh, that duo is really nice because it's a Herald and a Demon Prince kind of rolled into one. So you get all of the aura bonuses. And then once you start with one of those two, then graduate up to grabbing a Keeper of Secrets because that's going to be the like the focal point linchpin of the army. Yeah. And it'll probably also be the Fire Magnet, which is why both them and I recommend getting two. Maybe making one the named character and then the other one normal because variety and whatnot. So that that's probably the way I'd, I'd recommend getting it. Start demonettes, like you said, get maybe a herald or the named herald demon prince to kind of lead it, and then add in seekers, add in beasts, and then top it all off with keeper of secrets. So that way you can, if that's an idea of just how to layer purchases to kind of build small, build small, get larger. And then, um, by the way, fun fact for 85 bucks, you can get the Slanesh half of Wrath and Rapture on eBay. Mm. Cool. 80 to 85, depending on where you shop, shop for it. Uh, but, uh, or yeah, I've seen, I see some people with uh, Wrath and Rapture for 136, which it lists at 160. Oh, wow. So, you know, keep that in mind. Um, and uh, it'll be 
Yeah, you can you can get better, but that gives you the the new harp Enchantress Herald. Yes, it gives you a three three uh, fiends, which that's a fifty dollar box. That's right a fifty dollar box. So and three and a unit of five seekers and a unit of demonet. So that's six. Everything you need to get started. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for the yeah. cost of buying all that stuff piecemeal, you could actually get the whole Wrath and Rapture box and then sell off the corn side. Right. I, I'm just in my mind. I'm thinking, would I even recommend two? I might actually recommend two of the Sunesh side of that because then you'd have 20 demonets. You'd have probably all the seekers you'd, you'd need. You'd have 10 seekers, six fiends. And two you'd harps. You'd have two, two harps, which they are not unique. It's character. not a named character. And its ability is nice that it just brings back a model from a squad that is down within six inches. So if you had two of them, I would assume you could bring two back. Yeah. So, but yeah, I would go to Demon Costco and see if somebody will buy the corn half. The last thing I will say on this one in the Tactica, they did say you do have Slanesh buddies out there in Chaos Demons or Chaos, Chaos Space Marines. Um, so, if you want to get firepower to your Slanesh army and you don't mind the looks of Chaos Space Marines, look into um, Havocs, look into Mauler Fiends, just something that gives you heavy or shooty or something that. Slash doesn't normally have because I know Rob, you were big on the Havocs, and I've now kind of joined that Kool Aid. Bought all the Havocs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I want to fill out my three squads, so then that way I can have that plus a sorcerer or something, and have shooting in my Slanesh army for the first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have a letter you would like us to read on the air, uh, there's uh, three ways you can do that. First is email us, and our email is our first names at preferred enemies. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred enemies.com. Second is our Facebook page, facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, we have got a, a page there that you can like, follow, send us messages. Uh, third is on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter account is uh, at preferred enemy, singular. And uh, you can ask us questions at any of those three places. We'll collate them together, throw them in the hopper, and try to get to as many as we can within our short time frame. So we didn't get to everything this week, so we'll have stuff ready for the hopper next week. But uh, yeah, just keep those letters coming in, and uh, we will answer them as soon as we can. Uh, in addition, we also have a Patreon. Our Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, if you want to help support the show, help uh, fund us for up keeping our equipment up and running and upgraded and helping us get to events and being able to do cool things and 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 put together swag that we can send to our, our patrons and uh, just stuff to help support the show and keep us going and keep us growing. Uh, we really appreciate it. It's basically a online tip jar. We don't lock any of our shows behind a paywall. Uh, you can, if you can give as little as a, you can give as little as a dollar uh, per month and, and you know, just whatever you feel like it doesn't, and there's no obligation. Like I said, we're not going to lock anything behind the show. The show will be free forever. But if you want to support us up, even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar, it adds up. Uh, we do have one new patron. Uh, Lawrence Fish is now a member of the uh, Preferred Enemies Patreon family. So Lawrence, thank you very much for uh, joining up. And uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, it's time to look at the big FAQ three for April, barely April, almost, almost not (laughs) April, uh, 2019. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. 
KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding G-board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. And that means it's time for our main topic, which is the big FAQ Part 3 April 2019 Warhammer 40K update. Can we just call it the 2019 Big Fac 1? I, I, you could. It's not nearly as fun. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, we are, uh, just to be clear, we are only going to talk about what is in the main big FAQ document. There are a lot of faction uh, FAQ documents, pretty much every faction got revised or, you know, a revised updated FAQ and errata document, but we have limited time. So we're going to go through the main one, although it does touch on some of the faction specific stuff in it. So if it's in the main document, we'll talk about it. Um, first up, under core rules, changes, and clarifications, first up, a discussion of wobbly models. We've had several questions asking for clarity about how exactly the wobbly model syndrome rule should be used to place models in counts as locations. We're a bit surprised by these questions. To be clear, our intent for wobbly model syndrome was that it should serve only as a hint or tip to prevent models from getting damaged should they be placed in a location where they would be in a danger of falling over if the table was to be accidentally nudged during play. It was not intended to be a rule that enables you to place a model in a position where it could not otherwise physically be placed. So stop it. Just stop it. They didn't say that part, but I'm putting that at the end. Just knock it off. I love new GW because the snark and the way they listed that, it's like, dude, what are you doing? Please stop. (laughs) Well, and the part that I'm surprised by their statement here is that they're surprised by this. (laughs) Cause I mean, this has been going on since like day one. I mean, I've seen people use like, well, there's this hill that's actually almost a vertical incline. My guy can't stand on it, but technically it's a hill. So I'm wobbly modeling him up there. Yeah. Or it's like this hill. 
Go ahead. Can I wobbly model uh, between these two cargo containers that just happen to slide around during between matches? Anyway, um, or this model's base, I can fit a quarter inch of this model's base onto this floor of the ruin. What do you mean I can't? So we're going to count that he's standing there. No, no, you're not. Can the model's base physically fit there? No, then it doesn't fall under wobbly model. If he's top heavy, that's when wobbly model, like he's top heavy and he'll fall over. That's when wobbly model kicks in. Yeah. Don't model your, don't put your models for advantage so that they're top heavy so they fall over for wobbly model. <laughs> don't be a wobbly model dick. <laughs> All right, next up, edge of the battlefield. It's come to our attention. There's nothing in the rules that technically prevents a model from moving off the edge of a battlefield. As all good war gamers know, the edge of the battlefield is essentially the edge of the universe when it comes to the battle at hand. To correct this oversight, we're adding the following errata to the rule book, which is reprinted here for convenience. No part of a model or its base can be set up over or moved over the edge of the battlefield. I'm just blinking my eyes. I've seen one case that somebody has pointed out, like there are a couple of models that in a standard 40K deployment, like a Dawn of War style deployment, do not physically fit like stuff like Mantas, Marauder Bombers, Thunderhawks. With the big flyers with wings. Yeah. Like they don't fit in that. To which the answer is, why are you using that in a standard competitive game? I mean, it looks cool. But yeah. But yeah, for, for the most part, it's like you, yeah, you can't surf over the edge of the board. You have to have everything, everything within. Yeah. Uh, disembarking from destroyed transports. Turns out there's nothing in the core rules that prevents a unit that has been forced to disembark from its transport because it was destroyed as the result of an Overwatch attack to immediately declare, from immediately declaring a charge, provided the rules to see what models were destroyed weren't totally disastrous. This was never the intent, and some players have been exploiting this oversight and declaring charges against every possible unit in order to get their own transports destroyed so they can disembark their elite and very choppy units a few inches closer to the enemy to secure a vital charge. We imagine the units inside almost certainly have other things to contend with, like crawling out of the flaming wreckage of their former transport. To correct this, we are adding the following errata to the 40k rulebook. Add the following sentence to the end of the third paragraph on embarking. Units cannot declare a charge during the same turn that they disembarked from a destroyed transport. It makes sense. Yeah. And I like that it's very narrative in making it sense. I'm also kind of sad that I didn't think I needed to do this because, man, that would have got my things up three inches closer to charge you uh-huh. guys. Uh-huh. This is why they have, you know, they've got to put this in here. Well, this is why I'm not a top competitive player. <laughs> <laughs> Moving with units that can fly in the charge phase. In the August or in the autumn 2018 update, we included an errata that changed the way the fly keyword interacts with the charge phase. This revision and the corresponding codex FAQ updates were intended to answer a common question that arose when units that can fly were attempting to charge units atop a tall terrain feature or vice versa. And the charge role that was required was genuinely ambiguous. We believe the most elegant way to resolve this issue was simply to disallow units that can fly from ignoring intervening models and terrain during the charge phase. Since then, we've had a lot of feedback from players who feel that the inability to ignore intervening models when charging has un duly affected the effectiveness of their flying units. On reflection, we believe they're right, and it was certainly not our intent to affect the balance of any of these units by our changes. Models were, ex- are ex- uh, models were excluded only because certain terrain features, specifically certain fortifications such as bastions, bunkers, etc., are technically models and not terrain features, and we thought it was odd that a model that could fly could not charge over ruins, but they could charge over a bastion quite happily. As a result... We are replacing our previous errata and the corresponding Codex FAQ updates with revi- 
revised versions. These still prevent units from ignoring intervening terrain features such as ruins, sector, mechanicus, woods, etc. when charging, thereby clearing the, up the original ambiguities, but with the exception of buildings, allow them to once again fly over intervening models. By buildings, what we mean here are specifically models with the building keyword, such as bastions, fortresses, or redemption, and certain other models with the fortification battlefield role. For absolute clarity, the change to this errata means that models that can fly cannot move across buildings or any terrain feature if they were not there when charging. They must instead move up, over, down, or around them as any other model would. The following errata will appear in the respective FAQ and errata documents, but they're reprinted here for your convenience, and they're all basically anything. So flying, flip belts, Necron wraith, wraith form, Vanguard uh, Vanguard strike, veterans for Death Watch, inter- Inceptor strike, basically anybody that's got uh, Vanguard vets in their units. I, I am glad mm-hmm. that they revisited this and take it took a look at it and in my mind fixed it yes yeah i mean i i still think base to base probably would have been a, an elegant solution but i guess we haven't really done base to base and well no the, the the problem like you know, like measuring yeah like, the diagonal right, or whatever because then it would be a diagonal base to base yeah but i could also see that slowing the game up a little bit it would because you've got to measure keep, out the diagonals and we need to keep the game fast right so no, this is this is actually a good solution. I see, and I'm glad they explained. Like, this is why we made the change we did. It had some unintended side effects. We think you're right, and yeah. so we're gonna roll we're gonna roll that part back. So yeah, you can still flip belt flip belt over an enemy unit with your harlequins I just to get can't to the guys. Flip belt over a bastion. You can't flip belt over a bastion, <laughs> which I think right. is fine. Yeah, it makes sense. And only during the charge phase, movement yeah. phase, you're fine. Yeah, movement phase. Oh, that's a bastion. Watch me jump like Superman. Me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh aircraft now we we had been talking that there were rumors about changing flyers and how they work this right is not uh, the quite the change no expecting. i was hearing all the doom and gloom and when i got to this i'm like that's it i, I missed the doom and gloom <laughs> aircraft we have started to notice the aircraft typically units with the flyer battlefield role and or a minimum move characteristic are being used to block enemy units from moving and we've received lots of feedback along the lines of whilst the rules are very clear on the matter it does feel contrary to and disconnected from the narrative we agree after all the aircraft employing this tactic while re- whilst right in front of the enemy units are in fact imagined to be soaring high above the battlefield not skimming over the surface to that end we are introducing an addition to the core movement phase r- rules please note that we have chosen to write this rule to first define aircraft units and give them an appropriate keyword this is done so it'll affect units with a minimum move characteristic instead of those with the flyer battlefield role this is so that they apply to all units that are clearly aircraft but that have a different battlefield role like super heavy (laughs) aircraft such as marauder bombers thunderhawk gunships etc but not units that are clearly not aircraft or that are designed to engage and dismember foes in melee on the ground such as hell drakes hive crones etc Please note that for the purposes of these rules, all units that have the hover jet ability are still classed as aircraft, even whilst they're hovering. Following errata will appear in the Warhammer 40k rulebook FAQ and errata document, but is reprinted here for your convenience. Add the following text to the end of the movement phase section. Aircraft. If a unit can fly and it has a minimum move characteristic, or if it has a damage table on, on its data sheet that includes any minimum move characteristics, that unit gains the aircraft keyword. Whenever a model makes any kind of move, it can be moved within one inch of enemy aircraft, and it can be moved across such models and their bases as if they were not there, but it cannot end the move on top of another model or its base, and it cannot end the move within one inch of any enemy units. 
If, when a unit is selected to move in the movement phase, the only enemy units that are within one inch of it are aircraft, then it can still make a move, i.e. it does not have to fall back in order to move. So effectively, aircraft are not on the battlefield. They can't pin you in, but you can't. You still can't end up on their bases. You still have to be an inch past right. their base. So yep. I, this just goes to the why I'm not a com- top competitive player type thing of, I didn't think about this. I always... In my mind, oh, your aircraft's up there. I people can move around it, and so I never tried to do the "I'm going to block you in" with my aircraft because yeah. <laughs> I just, I guess, I was already using the fact in my mind even before it was there. But I do like that they spelled out that it's like it, it has to be you know minimum move characteristic, and unit yeah. has to keep yep. moving because yeah, like a Heldrake is made to come down, claw and bite at you, and then breathe fire at you. So it makes sense you should be able to pin somebody in with Heldrakes. Which then actually gives help Drakes a little bit of an advantage over other flyers. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, resetting up models. So you were talking about <laughs> the Incarn earlier. There are several abilities, stratagems, and psychic powers that let players remove a unit from the battlefield and then set it back up in a different location. But these rules are causing some confusion. The confusion is partially be- partially because it is not clear whether or not any effects that apply to the unit before it is removed from the battlefield still continue to apply when it is set back up. And also because the wording of this rule is sometimes written as these units being set up as if they were reinforcements, even though they're technically on the battlefield already. The intent of the as if they were reinforcements wording was to try and make it clear that the units had counted as moving for the purposes of moving and firing heavy weapons and that they can't move further again this turn other than to charge, pile in, or consolidate. After all, these units have potentially been displaced across the entire length of the battlefield already. This wording was also used to try and make it clear that such units would trigger other abilities or stratagems such as aspects, scans, and early warning overrides that are used when a unit is set up on the battlefield as reinforcements. Our feeling was that it shouldn't make a difference as to whether a unit teleported over the battlefield from an orbiting spacecraft or from over the next hill. To clarify how these abilities, stratagems, and psychic power works, we are adding the following FAQ to the 40k rulebook, which is reprinted here for convenience. What rules apply to units that are removed from the battlefield after deployment via abilities, stratagems, or psychic powers and then set back up again on the battlefield? And there's an eight-point list of how this works. (laughs) Any rules that are triggered by or apply to units that are set up on the battlefield as reinforcements are also triggered by and apply to that unit when it's set up on the battlefield. Models in that unit count as having moved a distance equal to their move characteristic that turn and so suffer the penalty of their hit rolls for moving and firing heavy weapons. If it has a minimum move characteristic, it counts as having moved its maximum move characteristic. Models in that unit cannot move again during that turn for any reason other than to charge, pile, in, or consolidate. If the unit was within an inch of the enemy unit when it was removed, it does not count as having fallen back when it's set back up. That's good to know. If the unit has advanced during this turn, it still counts as having advanced after it's been set back up. Any destroyed models in the unit when it is removed are still destroyed when the unit is set back up on the battlefield. If they were destroyed during this turn, they still count towards any morale tests taken for that unit this turn. Any models in that unit that have lost any wounds do not regain those wounds when they're removed and will still have lost them when their unit's set back up on the battlefield. Any rules that... The unit was being affected by when it was removed and which would continue to affect it for a specific duration from abilities, stratagems, psychic powers, etc. Continue to affect that unit until such a point as they would normally no longer have applied. For example, a unit that was within range of an aura ability when it was removed would no longer be affected by that ability if it's set up outside the aura's range. Whereas a unit that was affected by a psychic power that lasted until end of turn would still be affected by it till the end of turn. Please note... 
rules points five through eight, so the advanced, destroyed models, lost wounds, and persistent effects, do not apply to any unit that has been set up via the sustained assault, assault rule. Any unit that has been added to your army during the battle and has been set up, such as those added via the demonic ritual ability, or units set up via any of the following stratagems, fresh converts, tide of traitors, unstoppable green tide, more where they came from, send in the next wave, and endless swarm. These stratagems represent new units joining the fight rather than existing units being repositioned on the battlefield. That is about as clear as clear can be. Yeah. Yeah. Got nothing to add there. Yeah. They did a pretty good job. And so, like I said... So your ability to be reset up on the battlefield with the Incarn. So like I said, your ability to be set up back on the battlefield with the Incarn, you're not counting as coming from reinforcements. It just triggers effects that are triggered by that, but it no longer says as if it was reinforcements effectively. Uh, Organized events, guidelines, repeated data sheet clarification. (laughs) This one's a bit of a change. (laughs) If you're attending an event using... The updated organized events guidelines table restricts the number of times a particular data sheet can be included in your army. A few common questions have arisen from this, in particular whether certain units from different codexes that are describing the same models, such as Demon Princes of Nurgle and Demon Princes of Chaos, count as being different data sheets for the purposes of this guideline. We had previously answered this question as yes, but since then we have released Codex Gene Stealer Cults with the introduction of data sheets that describe Cult and Brood Brothers versions of certain Astro Militarum units. There are a growing number of such data sheets. We have therefore taken this as a good time to review our previous answer and take the feedback we received into account. Having done so, we have concluded that whilst the original answer was true to the letter of the restriction, it was not true to the spirit of what we were intending. As a result, we are changing our previous answer and providing further clarification for all other similar units that we know of. These three clarification will appear in the rulebook FAQ section, but are shown below for convenience. Are the Demon Prince data sheet from... Codex Cast Space Marines, Codex Cast Demons, Demon Prince of Nurgle Sheet from Codex Death Guard, Demon Prince of Zinch Data Sheet from Codex Thousand Sons, all considered different data sheets for the purpose of origin of organized events guidelines? No. For the purpose of these guidelines, all these data sheets are considered to be the same. You may no longer have nine plus demon princes. Slightly disappointed, but it is it makes sense. It's in it's the spirit fitting. of it's in yeah. the spirit right. of what they intended. And one thing I like about this rule is the fact that they went back looked at data, looked at intentions, and came back and revised their decision based on new findings. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're not stuck in one way. Like, no, that has to be this way. They, they learn, adapt, and change. Yep. Absolutely. Well, and I also think, and this is uh, reading a little bit between the lines here, uh, as we talked about with, like, the Inari and, like, you know, Demonkin codexes and stuff like that, I, I take this as kind of future-proofing for those types of codexes as they eventually come out. Because... What they're basically saying is that, like, you know, at some point down the line, if we release a Yanari Codex and we have Yanari Dire Avengers or, well, or uh, Yanari Incubi or something like that, something's not troops, you can still only have the three units. You can't take three from this and three from here. Like, so I, I, I kind of take that as I think they're going to start adding in more of those uh, duplicate entries as we start having kind of crossover codexes. Yeah. I would say I would agree with that. And then they go on to specify like the heavy weapons squad data sheet from Codex Mil- Astra Militarum, the Death Corps heavy weapons sh- uh, weapon squad from the Forge World Index, the Elysian heavy weapons squad data sheet from the <laughs> Forge World Index, the Renegade heavy weapons squad from the uh, 
from the same index are considered to be different data sheets? No, they're also considered the same. No stacking heavy weapons teams. And then is the cult Lehman Rust data sheet from Codex Gene Sealer Cults and the Lehman Rust data sheet from Codex Astra Militarum considered to be different data sheets? Uh, what about cult Scout Sentinels, uh, cult Armored Sentinels, Brood Brothers Infantry Squads, Brood Brothers Heavy Weapons Squads? Uh, no, if by deleting the cult or brood brothers from the data sheets title and codex gene stealer cults, they match another data sheet, then for the purposes of these guidelines, those data sheets are considered to be the same. Now, fortunately, for like the infantry squads, they're troops, so you can yeah. have as many of those as you want. Note that in the cases of Demon Princes and Brood Brother Heavy Weapon Squads, both Chaos and Gene Stealer armies have access to rules by which they can add new units to their army during the battle. As is the case of any unit that's added to your army during the battle, the restrictions listed and the organized event guidelines of how many times the same data sheet can be included in your army do not apply. Uh, so this means if your collection includes, for example, more than three Demon Princes, you can still use all of them in your game, but you'll have to summon the fourth and subsequent ones by Demonic Ritual. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, Bolter Discipline, time for some finalized match play rules. Yeah. Bolter Discipline was introduced as a beta in the February issue of White Dwarf. We've received a lot of feedback about this rule. It is clear the original wording has led to some unintended consequences. While this helped bolster the rank-and-file bolt-gun-wielding Space Marine and Chaos Space Marine, it has made certain vehicles, notably those with hurricane bolters, much better than anticipated. For this reason, we have decided to amend the rule so as to essentially exclude vehicles with the exception of Dreadnoughts and Hellbrutes. While technically vehicles, we feel these units wage war in a matter closer to their flesh-and-blood battle brothers than their chapters or legions battle tanks. <laughs> so the finalized form of the rule is um, you get the maximum number of shots on your gun if you're within half range, the model is infantry, and every unit stayed, stayed stationary, or the firing model is a Terminator, Biker, Centurion, or Hellbrute. Uh, the Bolter Discipline ability also affected Death Watch armies in a way we had not truly appreciated. The Death Watch already have an army rule called Special Issue Ammunition that makes their bolt weapons considerably better. In combination with Bolter Discipline, the results are a bit too powerful and overwhelming. <laughs> so basically, you can either use Bolter Discipline or Special Ammunition, but not both at the same time. That's actually probably a really good That's call. That's fair. Because <laughs> uh, bikes or Terminators... With, like, storm bolters and special ammunition. Ugh. Yeah, it was devastating. <laughs> Finally, we also received a lot of questions about whether the bol bolter discipline ability should also apply to other bolt gun wielding warriors in the Imperium, notably the Adeptus Custodes and the Adeptus Sororitas. For clarity, the bolter discipline rule was not intended to make all bolt guns better, but to rather make the warriors of the Adeptus or and Heretic Astartes who wielded them their best wielded them better as a result we are not adding the bolter discipline ability to units and other factions i don't know if custodes needed any help no they didn't no, no they don't they, yeah <laughs> now i'm good with this like the intent of what they're trying to do is make it that space marines you know train with this a lot this is their gun so uh yeah i'm fine with that i'm fine with it applying only to space marines uh, prepared positions. This was the stratagem that was added to the game that if you go second, you can get cover. You treat as ev you treat everything on your side for that turn as being in cover. I need to use this more. Yeah. yeah. I don't really use it enough. Yeah. They made a I minor adjustment that uh, it excludes aircraft and fortifications from benefiting from it. I don't have any of those in my Slanish army. Yeah. So like aircraft units are clearly soaring in the skies overhead and not dug in and buildings can't be any more dug in than they already are. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, tactical restraint. Uh, that match play rule was introduced as a beta back in August 2018. Based on your feedback, we've clarified the command points ga- gained via psychic powers are included, and one small change to exclude command points that are spent on stratagems that are used before the battle has begun from being refunded at all. <laughs> so, any of your like spending stratagems on war gear, you can't try to refund those. I mean, really, there wasn't a clear way to, but just to nip that in the bud mm-hmm. and make sure that that doesn't happen. Uh, tactical Reserves match play rule was revised as an updated beta version back in autumn 2018. This is now the final form of the match play rule. So I'm going to read it just so that everyone knows what, how Tactical Reserves works. Instead of being set up on the battlefield during deployment, many units have the ability to be set up on teleportariums, high orbit, in ambush, etc., in order to arrive on the battlefield mid-game as reinforcements. While sen- when setting up your army during deployment for a matched play game, at least half the total number of units in your army must be set up on the battlefield, and the combined points value of all the units you set up on the battlefield during deployment, including those embarked on transports that are set up on the battlefield, must be at least half of your army's total points value, even if every unit in your army has an ability that would allow them to be set up elsewhere. Furthermore, in match play games, units that are not placed on the battlefield during deployment in order to arrive on the battle mid-game as reinforcements cannot arrive on the battlefield during the first battle round. Finally, any unit that has not arrived on the battlefield by the end of the third battle round in a match play game counts as having been destroyed. Okay, so now that we all know how that it was worded, for clarity, this match play rule does not apply to units that are set up on the battlefield during deployment, but they use stratagems, abilities, psychic powers, etc. to be removed from the battlefield and set back up during the first or subsequent battle rounds. So, the Incarn, for example. If you start with the Incarn mm-hmm. on the table and somebody dies first turn, they can teleport over to where that unit was. Uh, also note that no part of this match play rule applies to units that are added to your army during the battle during... Uh, these units cannot be set up anywhere on the battlefield or otherwise during deployment because they do not exist <laughs> until the point where the rule that creates them is used. And at that point af- is always after deployment is finished. And then they uh, they revised uh, any other, uh, you know, any of the errata that adjusted, you know, that was adjusted because of that, like such as Raven Guard and Alpha Legion now getting a free nine inch move rather than being deployed uh Craft World Rangers being basically set up in Deep Strike, etc. And then now we get into the balance reviews. So we, we've adjusted all the errata. We, we've finalized all our beta rules that weren't already finalized. And now we are into the balance review. Further to the, further to the earlier match play rules, we've decided to make a number of small errata to enhance the balance of 40k based on community feedback. As errata, these are effective immediately and just detailed below. Imperial Knight Stratagems. It is possible through various Warlord traits and Rotate Ion Shield stratagems for an Imperial or Renegade Knight to boost its invulnerable saving throw to 3-up. Considering a Knight is already an exceptionally tough and resilient unit to face, we feel this is too much for most opponents to contend with. To that end, we are making a minor adjustment to the Rotate Ion Shield stratagem that limits the maximum saving throw afforded from 3-up to 4-up. It has also come to our attention that it is possible in certain situations for the death grip stratagem to automatically destroy the model it hits, as it is impossible for the enemy model to ever be able to break free. We feel this is a shame, and so we are introducing an errata to make it so that there's always a narrow hope of breaking free. So the main thing is, um, Rotate Ion Shields, as I said, is now a maximum of a 4-up save. There's no way to get better than that on your invuln. And then on death grip... Now your opponent can break free as long as they roll a six. You, you know they either have to beat 
like so to break free it either has to be their strength plus die roll beats your strength plus die roll or they roll a six yeah because death grip like if you beat them on like heavily on strength it was nearly impossible to break free so like if you had a knight grab an eldar mm-hmm. yeah pretty much <laughs> yes and then gene stealers uh they have a mental onslaught power that is kind of the same way you can keep it's like your d6 like a d6 plus your leadership versus their leadership plus a d6 and if yours is better they take mortal wounds and it just keeps going um they did the same thing where it's like if as long as they roll a six it breaks it because they don't want an ability to just have like an effective instant kill hmm. so an imperial assassins update we published rules for fielding Imperial Assassins in March's issue of White Dwarf. We've already received lots of feedback on these deadly operatives <laughs> and are thrilled to see so many of them striking fear into the hearts of enemy characters on the battlefield. When we wrote the, res- the rules in White Dwarf, we envisioned there would be three different ways you could include one of these deadly armies in your ability. First, as part of an execution force kill team. Second, as an auxiliary support detachment. Thirdly, v- via the operative requisition sanction stratagem. Of all these options, the third provides players the most flexibility, enabling them to bring the right assassin for the right job we feel that such flexibility could come or should come at a premium command point cost but currently costs the same number of command points in match play games as option two but is better in all regards in that it does not count towards the number of detachments in your army thereby getting around any detachment limits on your game conversely in narrative play games that stratagem costs three command points this was intended to try to account for the fact that in narrative play, you do not require reinforcement points to use the stratagem, but three command points is, in hindsight, too steep an investment, especially for a style of playing that's supposed to be less restrictive on army construction <laughs> than match play. To these ends, to make it more of a choice between option two and option three, we are increasing the command point cost of the stratagem involved for match play, but decreasing the cost for narrative play. Now everyone pays the same cost of two command points as detailed below. We are also taking this opportunity to make sure the stratagem can only be used if your army does not already contain an officio assassin or operative. Option one above, an execution for skill team is the method by which players can include multiple assassins in their army. Note this errata also includes an update that prevents the Fallen from being able to requisition the Imperium's Aww. Deadly Agent, which I think was one we had brought up. Yeah, like, I was like, hey, oh, Cypher, yeah. go, go get this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can only use the stratagem if your Warlord has the Imperium faction keyword excluding Fallen. And you do not contain any officio Assassinorum units, and it costs a flat 2 CP. I think that's much, much better. Agreed. Yes. Yeah, this gets rid of all the weird loopholes. And, and yeah, and I never was a... I understood. I think we understood why there was three CP in narrative, but I still didn't like it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, orc stratagems. The mob up stratagem was first introduced in the 2017 edition of Chapter Approved, and when we wrote Codex Orcs, it was added without changes. However, we underestimated the efficacy of certain other stratagems found inside Codex Orcs when used on certain units of mobbed up orc infantry. Instead of changing the command point cost of all the offending stratagems, we've decided to make a change to the mob up stratagem. That limits its use to the most iconic orc unit, boys. This means it's still possible to make that green tide of orc warriors as originally intended instead of using it to tactically build elite orc specialists into giant mobs just so they can all benefit from the same stratagem. (laughs) We've also changed the wording of the rule so that it is used just before reinforcement units are set up on the battlefield. This is to prevent players from getting around the intent of the rule that requires units set up such units to be set up more than nine inches away from any enemy units. The intent on being into it. The intent being to ensure a charge roll of nine up is required by immediately setting up a mobbing up with a unit that was already on the battlefield and within nine inches of the enemy. <laughs> the below errata will therefore feature in the FAQ and errata document for Codex Orcs. 
Uh, use a stratagem at the end of your movement phase before setting up any reinforcement units from your army on the battlefield. If any, select two clan boys units from your armies that are within two inches of each other and then mob them up. I'm, I imagine orc players are not happy about that, but it makes it's more it makes more sense. Yeah. Because really, boys are the only ones that you're supposed to see in big mobs like that. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that's yeah, that's much more in line with what what they were shooting for. And as they mentioned, it keeps all those other stratagems from being super, super, super effective. So, yeah, it's a good change. Yeah. Craft world psychic powers. The doom, jinx, and reveal powers are a particularly deadly combination that can be used to mete out destruction of the foes of the craft worlds. However, these psychic powers are being disproportionately used to benefit units from other Eldari factions, particularly allied Drukari units, who are supposed to be famous for their distrust of psychers and who have outlawed the use of their powers. To that end, rather than increase the warp charge cost of these powers and in doing so penalize those craft world players who are using these powers as originally intended, we are making a minor change to three psychic powers to ensure that their use only benefits an Asriani psychers craft world kin. Uh, so conceal, reveal, protect and jinx, and doom now only uh, affect Asriani units. Which I, I think that's fitting. It's narratively fitting and, I mean, game balance-wise fitting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm good with this change. And then finally, in the main document, like I said, we're not going to cover all the all the faction FAQs, but finally in the main document, points values for Knight Castellans. Whenever we publish a new edition of Chapter Approved or a new codex, we review, update, and fine-tune the points values of all our units and more gear. Following your feedback, Knight Castellan and Renegade Knights Dominus with Volcano Lances have come to our attention as needing a points rebalance. These units are extremely durable with a dominating long-range damage output. We feel that this unit is 100 points too cheap for what it does and felt that it would be best to publish these revised values as soon as possible. Note that the difference in points cost between the... Imperial and Renegade version of the Volcano Lance accounts for the fact that the base cost of a Knight Castellan is already 10, mo- 10 points more than that of a Renegade Knight Dominus. These replace those values that appear in any book published before spring 2019, and they will be reviewed again as part of a comprehensive annual review of all points values in the chapter approved 2019 edition. So basically, instead of the weapons being free, the Plasma Decimator and Volcano Lance, which you have to take if you take a Castellan, now cost 40 and 60 points, or 40 and 70 in the case of the Renegade Knight, since it was already 10 points cheaper. Mm-hmm. Which now gets those knights in the 700-something point range. Probably where they need to be, I guess. I've seen the main complaint I've seen about this from Knights players, besides the fact that Knights players, A, don't want to have to pay more points for something anyway, is that this actually puts the Castellan within spitting distance of the Perfirian Knight, which mm-hmm. is a better knight even than the Castellan. And does kind of. It makes the Castellan less of a clear option. But you also know it's a problem when like every Imperium army that can is running a Castellan. Mm-hmm. It's it's too good a choice. It it needed to have a points increase. I don't know if just the points increase is what I would have done. I dislike the fact that there are some really super awesome stratagems that still work for the night Castellan. Yeah. I mean, they fix it a little bit with the ion shields, but I don't know. I, I This is a way to fix it. I don't know if this is exactly the best way to fix it, but 
we'll see. They'll, I'm sure they'll update it as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how this impacts things in the fall. But if it, yeah. I, but if it can, if it can reduce the number of knights castling that are just splashed in because it's the best anti-vehicle option, for sure. <laughs> then, then the the update will have done its job. Yeah. Okay. And if we're talking about it that way, then I'm actually good with this change because this doesn't feel as knee jerk as some of the other changes they've made. Mm-hmm. Um, Wraith Knights, cough, cough. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this, this is an increase in point level, but it's not so drastic that you won't see them on the table. Right. I mean, if somebody yeah. wants to run a Castlin, it's still at a price point where it's a viable choice. It's just not the automatic best choice. And that's yeah. that's what you want out of Like, you want a unit to have a viable choice. And somebody's... I've also seen people point out that, hey, maybe this means we'll see Valiance on the table because now that yeah. that knight has the resiliency of a Castlin. It's cheaper than the Castlin. It does require you to get closer but it's got weapons that are equally nasty. And yeah. And again, you, you, you never saw valiance on the table because the castlin for the same price was the better choice every time. Now it's not. And so, yeah, this is, I think this is a good fix. And I think we had said for like, we've said a number of times, yeah, the castle is probably about a hundred points mm-hmm. too, too cheap. Yeah. So no, this, this is good. I, I still think there's a problem with the stratagem side of things as well and some of like the household traits. Depending on how quickly – I have a little bit of a problem with it from the Renegade Knight perspective. Uh, but at the same time, we're also getting a Chaos Knights Codex soon that will make it, I think, uh, you know, that will fix some of those inequities there. So uh, I, I think this is good. Yeah. I think this is a good short-term fix. Yeah. And this will probably get locked down and finalized, like they said in chap, like Codex or Chapter Proof 2019 will get an updated version, which might tweak these point costs a little bit. Mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see how everything lands. But yeah, this is a good interim fix, and that yeah, I think needs to be done. And that's it for the main big FAQ document. Overall, I I like that they really explained the reasoning both behind any previous changes and like why we did this thing and then looking at it's mm-hmm. like oh but no this hat then you wrote into us and we looked at it and like no we were wrong we needed to we went too far one way or the other or we needed to tune this we need to make sure it didn't have any unintended consequences and that's something you don't get on a lot of like game faq documents yeah i mean it's nice they explain things because if people see where you're coming from they might disagree with you, but at least they see your point. So they can say, I can see why they did that. Mm-hmm. And you get better understanding. And then, like you said, they walked back some of their changes based on feedback and relooking at things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that you don't see often in companies. And it's really nice. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I still think they need to relook Forge World Greater Demons points. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to, that, that's not going to show up in an interim balance issue no, because it it's not like, <laughs> I have yet to see an interim balance issue says, you know what? These units that no one's taking because they're ridiculously expensive need to be cheaper, especially now that they've made the Keeper of Secrets better. Oh, yeah. I am so yeah. thrilled about that. I, now I just want Zerachniel better, and then I'll have like all I'll, the things. I'll have no points for demonettes in my army, which <laughs> makes me sad. <laughs> Maybe all Keeper of Secrets and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I could take a lot. I could take three Keepers and one named one and Zerachniel. You can it's have what, five five HQs and a Supreme Command detachment. There you go. That's my army. <laughs> well, Zrachnil is what? Lord of War? Yeah. Which you can have in the Supreme right. Command detachment. There you, you go. 
you'll be able to use all of them in the streamlined APOC games that we'll be able to play coming out later this summer. That's probably also true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but no, overall, like I, I don't think there's anything in this FAQ document I disagree with. I, I can honestly say that. Yeah, I know. I was yeah. expecting a lot of doom and gloom and, oh, things are going to change so much. And I was like, I was prepared for the worst. And then when it came out, I'm like, things. Okay. Well, things will change. This is this the, between this and like the Inari update. This mm-hmm. does shut down a number of armies that have been doing consistently well true you know kind of punching above their weight class i think that's the key phrase there yeah because the yanari should not have been as good as they are i mean i will admit i did like castellan should not have been oh yeah castellan should not have been doing as like it yeah i mean yeah this really feels like it took things a notch down balanced them Mm -hmm. yeah and well i think as we'd mentioned before and and maybe i don't know if it's a conversation we actually had on air if it was just conversations we've had but it didn't it never felt to me like the game balance as a whole was off. It felt that there were a couple of elements, Yanari, Knight Castellans, et cetera, some of the you know, stratagems, things like that, that kind of blew the power curve and were like, it's broken on this end, but if you fix those, then everything else kind of works. And I think that this clearly shows that GW kind of agrees with that. That 80 to 90% of the game is working as intended. And there's just a few things that we need to tweak. And we'll see over the next few months if tweaking these two or three big outliers makes the game as a whole more competitive, which I'm hopeful. Yeah. And, and also just cleaning up a lot of the weird exploits that people would come up with. Like the, I'm going to blow up my own train. I'm going to try to get my own transport blown up so I can slingshot myself out of it. Or I'm going to I'm going to drop in a unit of boys via teleport and then mob it up with this other unit that's already close enough. Or pinning down units with flyers because Eldar flyers could probably just swap positions each time. Mm, yes, yeah. Eldar are weird like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's consider how many Eldar flying circus oh, yeah. armies we were seeing. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and I think it's good that not only is GW, uh, a lot of this feedback is working because not only is GW getting all these letters and they have opened themselves up to like, please write to us and let us know what needs to be fixed, but they're going to large competitive events and seeing the exploits being used in person and be like, no, wait, that's not how we intended this to be made. But I guess because we didn't specifically say not to do it, we've I, I, you know, I think they feel kind of like a, a teacher or a parent who's a little exasperated. It's like, okay, yeah, I didn't tell you you couldn't do it, but come on, should do I have? Okay, apparently I have to. Okay, yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. There's no rule that says you can't, but you really shouldn't because that's not what we intended. Okay, we have to write this down. Okay, you're a bunch of children. We've got to put this down. I mean, yes, yes, we are a bunch of children. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean. <laughs> and again, you know, most of these issues came up f- completely from competitive play. Yeah. You know, casual yeah. narrative play, the, the, this stuff doesn't come up. But well, And even if it does, you and your buddy will just debate it out and then roll a D6 and move on. Yeah. Yeah, when, when there's no yeah. prizes on the line, it's suddenly much more relaxed. But... 
again, you know, the competitive scene is like the biggest high-end beta test for the ga- for a game. And yep. the fact that they've shown over the last what year and a half now that they are, you know, since they started actively really putting out the, you know, this big FAQ pro- uh, program that they've been doing and you know putting out open calls for what questions need answering and monitoring competitive events and watching and and I think the work of the people who are like streaming these games so that GW can watch events, you know, when they're not there, you know, is also a, a kind of an unsung part of this that they've made by shining a light on how the game is played at this, at competitive levels. It's allowing GW to see like, Oh crap. Yeah. This is not what we meant at all. <laughs> and, and that's good. That's good. And you know, it's, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant as it was. And then I'll mm-hmm. also say, especially with the facts, I mean, just if they'd only done chapter approved, we probably would have all applauded like, hey, this is really cool. Each year they take a look at things. But by having the like two extra facts in there, it makes it feel like a living game where mm-hmm. you kind of, or I guess in, in code terms, we're having software patches every few months. And it, it just, it keeps the game fresh. It keeps it up to date and it balances out much more frequently than if we had to wait each year. Although it's, it's interesting. I saw uh, shortly after big FAQ three came out, I saw uh, somebody complaining on one of the Facebook 40 K groups that it's like, I only play a couple of times a year and now I can't, they keep, why do they keep releasing so many FAQs? I can't keep up. It's like, Oh God, mm. we've reached like, uh, it, it wouldn't be a 40k if somebody didn't complain about everything. If there aren't enough FAQs, people complain. Now people are complaining that there's too many FAQs. Well, the thing is, you can't please everybody. No, you can't please everyone. Yeah. And But I'm glad that GW has decided, yeah, we can't please everyone, but this is a pace that works for us, and we're going to keep putting things out. And, and I think this is a good pace for the game, because when it was like, remember the times of one, two codexes a year? And yes. the game just felt oh, yeah. very stagnant. It was very stale. Yeah. And then when we got to the pace of the game was a codex every month, that was way too fast. Yeah. And just like two or three big updates, in this case, three big updates a year, is felt like kind of right. Mm-hmm. No, I think this this has been fine. Now that also it helps like the main push of getting all the codexes updated is to this new edition is done. And now they're uh, able to roll out, like roll out codexes as needed to expand upon factions. So like Gene Steeler Colts, Gene Steeler Colts, you know, being the last one. And that one was a massive expansion of their codex rather than just like an Mm -hmm. update of an existing one. Well, we had then had the update with chaos space Marines too. Yes. Um, which they had released enough new stuff out that it made sense to put out a new book. I imagine we'll see the same thing for space for regular space Marines, but I'm glad they didn't haven't tried to rush it out the door. Yeah. Please don't rush things. Yeah. Um, yes. Chaos Knights coming later this year. If we're getting to the point where we're maybe we're only going to have four or five codexes a year now, and because like right now we've we'll have we've had Gene Steeler Colts, second Chaos Codex. We'll probably get a second Marine Codex. Um, we're going to get a Chaos Knights Codex, and we're going to get a Sisters Codex, most likely by end of year. Yep. I'll toss out Rumor Engine, even though I have no facts. So that's why this is pure rumor. With the new Slanesh stuff coming out. And a revised Demons Codex. Either Demons or Emperor's Children. Mm. Uh, well, and there's still the possibility of a Fulgrim model release. Right. I still I still See? keep that keep the See? hope alive on that one. So. I mean, Zeech <laughs> has the theirs, A Thousand Sons. 
Death Guard Nurgle. I mm. see. I don't know if they would do if they would do a Emperor's Children one because it's so on the heels of doing okay. Space Marines uh, one. True, true. True. But maybe. 10, 12 months from now. But I could see a Fulgrim yeah. release and then a new Chaos Demons Codex along with it that would bring okay, in the new Slim. technically he is a demon, isn't he? Yeah, so... Mm, uh, well, I mean, but he's all... No, he is, but be, he is. He yeah, doesn't he, have demon faction, though. Right, he doesn't he would, have demon He faction. would be in an Imperial... He'd be in an Emperor's Children's Codex. Yeah. He wouldn't be in a demon. Or codex. he'll be in a in a White Dwarf since they're now true. Putting, he'll be in a White Dwarf slash right. chapter. Ha- have a new Chaos Demons and him in the White Dwarf that month. Yeah. Yeah. So... The addition of chapter approved into the mix gives them a lot more freedom to, and the fact that they're using it to release the stuff that they've kind of done piecemeal throughout the year is, I think, is good. So, yeah, uh, well, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode, except for hobby progress. Yeah. And uh, my hobby progress has been so much painting, all the <laughs> painting I have. I, on the Black Legion, I am now at the smaller details and moving into the wash stage this week. So I imagine by the end of the week, this should be mostly knocked out. And then I'm going to be also rebasing Black Templars. I need to clean the resin bases and clean them, prime them white, wash them blue, dry brush them white, and then start sticking <laughs> sticking Black Templars onto them. That won't take long, though. But uh, yeah, I've been putting in a few hours each night on painting and they're coming along really nicely. They they uh, I, I mean, I, I will have to do cleanup on like the gold trim because I'm kind of there's a, uh, a battle ready uh, battle ready Black Legion video that uh, Duncan Rhodes did. And it's basically, yeah, just like you spray paint it like spray paint them black, then like prime them black. Then paint them black again with like Abaddon black, just so you're matching, which I use my airbrush for that. And then it's like, go paint the gold trim. Don't be neat. Cause you're just, well, cause what he says is like, you paint all the colors and then you mm-hmm. wash it with like, wash the whole thing with null and oil. And then now that you've got the wash and it's showing where all the shades are, like where all the borders and everything are, you can easily see where you need to clean up. And then you just spot clean up with, uh, with Abaddon black. And so that that sh- that part will, you know, I'll just do spot cleanups on each model, move to the next one, move to the next one. It'll go pretty fast, which is good when you're painting <laughs> uh, 20, 20 Marines, five Chosen, 10 Raptors, 20 Cultists, <laughs> which the Cultists don't have a lot of gold trim, fortunately. Two Greater Possessed, a Master Possession, two Obliterators, a Venom Crawler, uh and Abaddon and a dread and a hellbrute. It's it's a lot. It is. Sounds like you don't value your cultists a lot if they're not getting gold trim. They have some they have some gold. They have, <laughs> no, they have some gold trim. They just don't have nearly as much. If any of them have the mouth open, you can give them a gold tooth. Um yeah. the I've got the cultist champ wearing a gold mask. That's something. <laughs> and they all have yeah. gold chaos star danglies, so they got their nice. bling. They got their bling. How about you, Kevin? <sighs> So my uh, the heretical forges here, i.e. my 3D printers, uh, have been just cranking away nonstop <laughs> for the last month. Um, I'm basically working. Uh, when I originally acquired my 3D printer, like I was like, oh, I could print terrain, and then I was like, well, I'll do like a bunch of theme tables and do this and do this, and it's like, well, oh, it's basically folded down into I have 
one of the printers that's doing nothing but Necron terrain and one that's doing like my Tau terrain. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a bunch of tables for that. And then going forward all over the next few years, I'll be able to do other ones. But, uh, yeah, right now it's, it's finishing printing up those, those, and then, um, you know, quickly painting and getting them boxed up so I can ship, uh, to be ready for the event. Cause I'm, I'm taking a week off of work and coming home a week early, which I didn't necessarily factor into my time of printing because I was like, oh, I need, I've got two weeks to get all this done. No, you don't. <laughs> Wait, no, I only have a week because I can't, I can 3D print stuff here, but I won't be here to pick it up. So I've had to adjust my schedules a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's, that's been my main focus. And then I guess I'll follow on those. Kevin, remember how you left some of those um, train here, like the little walls and stuff? Uh-huh. Yeah, I have not even got those primed because we have had no good weather here to prime. It has been it has been rainy and or cold and every or windy day. every day for like the last week Month. last yeah, last two or three weeks. I mean, we all, we had a couple of like warm summery days like in the middle I of the week. I wasn't around on those for yeah. I mean, I wasn't available to prime things And those then days. yeah, since then, and in fact today it has been Torrential monsoon rains followed by sun, followed by monsoon rains, followed by sun at least three times today. Yeah, I even got hail rained on me today. So yeah. it, it was pretty bad. But um, go ahead, Kev. Uh, you, you know what's coming, but uh, I'll, I'll go ahead yeah. and say it anyway. It's, uh, it's, it's 85 degrees and sunny. Well, see, and that's <laughs> yeah. my point. I mean, you can prime them and ship them. So probably next time, don't don't bring them to us. Just just prime them, ship them yourself. Well, I wanted to bring those because I was like, hey, here's what I'm I ex- You were excited. I know. Hang on. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to tease you about it. Um, past that, Project Orion has had nothing happen to it, partially because of Project Slanesh. No, no time to prime, and yes, Project Slanesh, which, oh my gosh, I love all the new models. I mean, you you might have heard us talk about them earlier. Now you can let me gush about them because, for the most part, they went together beautifully and easily. I had some issues with the Harpist because the the arm and the claw, I didn't get her at the exact right angle because I didn't know what the right angle was to get them to like pluck the strings at the same time. It's like, okay. Um, just minor things like that, but they look so good. I mean, you saw them. Yes. Rob, put yeah. Together. He's shown, he showed them to me and yeah, for as intricate as the models look and apparently they go together just wonderfully. Pretty good. I mean, I, the mask has a lot more parts than I thought, but yeah, the, um, Harold and the Demon Prince combo, that was the easiest one to put together. Um, my, I guess I'll say my one complaint with the Keeper of Secrets, I really wish there was a um, slot for a magnet on the wrist, because all of the weapon options are on the left hand. Uh-huh. If mm-hmm. I had a way of just putting a little magnet there, I mean, I'm probably going to, for when I make a real Keeper of Secrets instead of the named one, try and drill in a like, hole there. Like and sink put, a magnet. And yeah. sink a magnet there, yeah. because... I mean, you have like four different options, of which two or three of them you are don't, good. You don't want to spend five hundred and sixty dollars on four. No, I've already done that with my Wraith Knights. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, although I'd have to do that if I wanted the three Keeper of Secrets plus the oh. the name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'll do that army though. Sorry, it would be funny, but not really that good. Um, but no, the Slanesh models and even the beasts. I I, I know I've in the, the past fiends. Are, fiends. Beasts or Nurgle. Sorry. And one per box as opposed to the three for 50 that <laughs> yes, you get for Yes. Now that I, once I realized they were three for 50, I'm like, this is a good deal. And so, yeah, I've got some beasts now that I have. Fiends. 
fiends <laughs> that I haven't put together, which I will put together just so I can try that. Cause Celeste's problem, people will just back out of combat or getting shot lots. Well, I think mm-hmm. I kind of, with the, this new release, it doesn't fix me having shots back at you other than maybe including Havocs. Yeah. Um, but having bigger fire magnets that can actually take a hit and having ways to keep you locked in combat kind of halfway address some of the issues Slanesh has of getting up there and staying up there. Mm-hmm. So army's probably still bottom tier, but at least we've got more toys and, and they're really nice looking toys. They are. Yeah. yeah. It looks good while it's at the bottom of the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when you show up, Kev, when we're at the same tournament sometime, we'll play each other and, and you can beat me. Unless you bring corn. Yeah. I, I yeah. have a, My Slanesh has a good record against your corn. And Rob's corn. That's true. Yes, against yeah. corn in general. Yeah, I know. Slanesh versus corn. Slanesh wins. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, don't forget Midwest Conquest. Is, well, next episode by the time will be the Midwest Conquest episode. Yep. Uh, the GT is full. The friendly is mostly full. Uh, we've even had some more her- sign-ups on Horse Heresy lately. So, And we've even fl- flipped some tables from... We we've uh, like one table. Okay. We're we're right now. I think we are keeping it capped. We've we added two ta- or two spots, so we're at an even sixty for the GT. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So when we when you hear from us next, it will be in the aftermath of the event, and we'll see how it goes. And we'll sound very tired. We'll, we will be very tired. <laughs> yes, we will be very very tired. But uh, we're looking forward to it. Ah, so that's episode 195. Like I said, 196 will be Midwest Conquest coverage uh, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies. I'm Rob. Kevin. And Dennis. Good night, good gaming, and good on GW for keeping the game uh, lively and balanced. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.